Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Tracks Edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. This is week 69. Nice. I was halfway there on that voice, so I just finished it off. It sure feels like if you told me it was week 420, I'd believe you. Hell yeah. We'll get there eventually, right? Uh, Feels like we have to, right? No, sure. Boy, I sure hope no. Doesn't this go on forever? I think. (laughs) We'll get to 420, we'll get to 1420, we'll get all the way there. It is week 69, uh, which means after this we got just 10 more TOSs to go. Oh, thank God, jeez. Um, so, still very hard to sit through. We're going to start counting those down. <laughs> and in fact, the way we've organized this podcast is uh, we start with the last place finisher from last week, and that is TOS. Yeah, because because of fucking Elon of Troyes. This week we watched Whom Gods Destroy. I'm pulling up my sleeves. I'm ready. Enterprise is orbiting the poisonous world of Elba 2. Named where after the Idris Elba. Named after Idris Elba, for sure. Where the Federation keeps its remaining criminally insane population. <laughs> well, there's not that many of them. No, they're bringing a, a, uh, a promising new medicine. Uh, Dr. Corey, Dr. Donald Corey, I think. Mm. I didn't write it down. Oversees the 15 inmates... That's the total of all criminally insane inmates in the whole Federation. Yeah, well, that's obviously false. We've already seen more than that. I guess they must not have violent tendencies. Mm. Um, including the newest, Garth of Izar, former fleet captain. <laughs> Dude, people in Starfleet are always just going off the reservation. Yeah. Uh, it does seem to be a real common scenario for starship captains. They're also, all the ones Kirk has met. Yeah, they're also usually Kirk's buddies in some way. Yeah, Kirk's old buddies are always starting up a Nazi planet or a Chicago gangster planet mm-hmm. or, you know, just losing their minds entirely. Uh, Kirk knows about this old boy from his academy days, but I guess he's never met him. Okay. Uh, so they go down to visit him and they uh, they have a brief encounter with uh, an Orion slave named Marta who claims that the man who's leading them there isn't Governor Corey at all. Oh, in retrospect, that makes no sense, <laughs> but whatever. They reach uh, Garth's cell, but they find, instead of Garth of Izar, they find another, much more haggard Governor Cory inside. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the fake Cory winks out, and Garth of Izar winks back in, because I guess that's they didn't want to do a real shape change effect this time, so they just kind of do a Batman spin around. Mm-hmm. It even gives it the sound effect. Like, yeah, that, and um, 
and Garth releases all of the other prisoners. They uh, they lock Kirk in with the real uh, Governor Corey, and they drag Spock off. And uh, Lord Garth of Izar claims that he leads the future masters of the universe. That's one Andorian and one Tellarite <laughs> and a bunch of old dudes and one Orion woman. Yep. He's got it. This is also definitely a He-Man tie-in, I think. Yep. Yep. He's got a cat. It's a battle this cat. It's a, a coward, but then it's not. Yeah, when he when he when he holds a sword in the air and says a really redundant thing about power. Yes, that's, that cat turns into a, some kind of battle cat. Uh, Corey explains uh, to Kirk that Garth learned his uh, shape changing trick on Antos too, and meanwhile Garth has turned into Kirk, and. He tells he tells him that he's going to use the Enterprise to hunt down his last crew who, who mutinied, and then I guess take over the rest of the galaxy. But this mutiny thing is at the top of his list. Sure. So he tries to call Enterprise to beam up, but for the first time in sixty nine episodes of TOS, there there's a fucking password lock on the transporter. <laughs> That's right. By the way, the rest of this episode is this guy trying to break this fucking lock. He's so pissed off that he doesn't know when when Scotty says Queen to Queen's Rook 4 or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Uh, he's so pissed off about this, he goes into a real rage. Uh, just rage shifts back into his original form. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not going to talk much about what happens on the Enterprise in this one because Scotty knows the, the game is up up there. But uh, there's a force field around the planet, and then we cut back about four times to him trying to figure out how to break down the force field, and it doesn't matter at all. Nope, does not end up uh, playing any part in the episode. No, it's not like when they melt down Apollo's temple or whatever. It's just just not a non-issue entirely. Mm -hmm. So, Garth invites Kirk and Spock to dinner, and... His goons wheelbarrow all around, and Marta recites poetry and dances seductively. All yep. the stuff you kind of would expect from a season yeah. three. For the twelfth time already, somebody in charge makes a bunch of people act like idiots in front of him. Yeah. For pleasure. Uh, and Garth doubles down on his intention to rule the universe, and he scoffs at Kirk talking about exploration and being a man of peace. He tries to tempt Spock with a ship in his eventual fleet. Yeah. Um, Spock does the usual, that's not logical, you're doing the same shit that got you put here, and uh, so he gets taken away. And Garth makes some weak attempts to get the passphrase out of Kirk, um, but none of that works, so he has a special chair brought in. Mm. It's from the Tantalus colony. Yep. And uh, he... He does a little demonstration torture with Corey and then has Kirk put in the chair. None of this does anything, so... I mean, uh, Kirk ain't gonna break from some fancy chair. Yeah, exactly. So Marta, who started out half-seduced already, offers to try a different method of persuasion on Mm. Kirk. So she takes him back to her bedroom or whatever and tells him she's been lying to Garth and she loved him as soon as she saw him. Also, she wants to try this thing, this earth thing called spanking. Yeah, basically that. Mm -hmm. Uh, She then tries to stab him with a hidden knife. So again, that also sort of happened. Yep. Uh, Because she's crazy in a nonsense TV way. Yeah. Uh, But one of the things she tells him is that she managed to get Spock released. So Spock shows up uh, armed with a phaser and... 
he and Kirk, uh, he knocks her out with a neck pinch, and he and Kirk make their way through the corridors, and they stun the guards, and <clears throat> Kirk's uh, about to request an immediate security beam down, but he's also a little suspicious, so when Scotty again asks for the password, uh, Kirk tries to get uh, Spock to do it, but yeah, of course it's Garth of Izar. Yeah, he just looks at Spock and goes, well, well anytime. Password. <laughs> yep. And again, the guy's like, son of a bitch! Yep. Yeah, so he rages out again. Um, Kirk tries to access whatever's left of old fleet captain Garth in there. Hmm. But um, we know that there's way too much time left in the episode for him to talk him around at this point. So Unfortunately. it's nothing. Yeah. He stuns Kirk. They drag him back to the dining room. He does a mock coronation. He names Kirk his heir apparent. Hmm. Uh the guards take him back to the control room where Garth tries to get the password out of him um, by holding up a, a bottle of Jimmy's <laughs> and saying it's the most powerful explosive in the universe. He somehow developed it while he was in prison? Yep. Uh-huh. He, while he was here on Planet Crazy, he developed the most powerful explosive in the universe. And if he dropped that bottle, it would vaporize the whole planet. Mm-hmm. They throw it around and do dumb stuff. Uh, then he drives uh, Marta out of the protective dome with an explosive necklace on and he blows her up. Yeah. So I guess proving at least that those little jimmies are explosive. It's definitely an explosive of some type. Yeah, for sure. So he's going to have Spock brought in next, probably to blow him up too. But Spock, uh, you know, pretends he's sick (laughs) and then neck pinches the guards. Uh huh. It's real basic stuff, but these guys are just some insane prisoners, so, like, why wouldn't it work? You're right. And uh, he arrives armed. But Garth has seen him coming on the internal cameras, and he's shapeshifted into Kirk, so there's two Kirks. Oh, this is just like uh, something else I've seen with two Kirks. Uh, Star Trek VI. <laughs> it's quite a bit like Star Trek VI, yeah. They, they love uh, that trick. <laughs> They did love that trick. To be fair, it's Star Trek Six's fault for reusing that. Yeah, 100%. Um, like you said, everything then, that happens in Ruripente in Star Trek Six is kind of a kind of a downer. But, all, but also, to be fair, I think it's actually done slightly better in Star Trek Six. God, I hope so. Uh, so, they both, of course, they both claim that the other one is Garth. And Spock's big plan is just to wait it out as the two of them fight each other. Mm-hmm. And then oh, the oh, real sp- he asks some questions that do not shed that doesn't shed light on anything. He asks some questions and then one of them answers correctly and then the other one goes that doesn't mean anything and Spock goes yeah you're right. <laughs> it's it's really bad. Spock's very bad. Dumb, at this I asked game. a pretty dumb question. That you're right. That you that you got it me there. Spock but, doesn't come up with one question that will actually determine <laughs> who the real Kirk is. Nope. And this is it should be quite easy because uh, Garth of Izar has never met Kirk mm-hmm. and has no access to a database that has any information about Kirk. It should be real simple. Yep. But he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't really try. Yeah. Doesn't try hard. Uh, at some point, the real Kirk tells Spock, he, listen, you just got to shoot both of us for mm-hmm. the safety of, uh, of the Enterprise. And that's good enough for King Solomon here. He stuns the other one. Yeah. Uh, they call up to the ship. Uh, McCoy beams down and starts injecting the crazy people with the miracle drug from the intro. Oh, good. Now and, we're going to have uh, zero criminally insane people in all the Federation. Yeah. Uh, Garth wakes up from his uh, little chair nap, and he seems to be completely unaware of what he did. And I guess we're supposed to believe fully healed. 
Uh, so, well, if side effects include amnesia. Yeah. He doesn't seem to remember anything. This is a good point. What, um, what's this one about? No. You, <laughs> you know. You know what it's about. It's not about anything. It was a nah. It was not for me. Zero. I mean, what would it be? Crazy people are a real handful? Uh, Yeah. Ben has given it a three with the take mental illness can be medicated away, but uh, it seems like he just left his cynical take in. I don't know. Maybe in the 1960s that people did, weren't aware of that. I don't know. I guess. I'm not uh, sure. I also left my cynical take in, really, which is uh, never meet your heroes. Oh, did he, wor- did he worship this guy the way he worshipped that scientist in that other episode? I mean, he tells him that... Uh, Garth was the prototype for all starship captains, right? Um, that he was the first one, and they're all just following this guy's legacy. I remember when he said that he was a military genius in an age when they still needed that in the Federation. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, and it's so, it's so hard to tell because something happened to this man that drove him completely insane. Mm-hmm. So... But I, I believe that what we're supposed to get out of this is that uh, Garth is a product of an earlier era, and he hasn't adapted to the changing times, and it plus, makes, her real, makes like, her real sad. Like you said, plus insanity. Plus, plus also, he's criminally insane. <laughs> right. um, I'm give, I'll give it as much as a three. The okay. take is kind of a truism, and it's not real Star Trek-y. Fair enough. Um, what about flipping it around to execution? How did this thing do? Well, this is where I had to deduct quite quite a few points because Garth is insane, so <laughs> yeah. the take is in danger. Um, we don't know if the sane, reasonable Garth would have such a difference of opinion with Kirk. Mm-hmm. The bigger problem is, I'm not sure anything in the episode makes sense. Well, yeah. The, the shape-shifting is a crazy device. He just says he learned it. Yeah. And you just go, What? What do you mean? He's like, I don't know, cellular? It's a cellular. I learned how to do it, though. You're like, he was okay. he was injured somehow. Right. And he went to Antos 2 to heal. As you do. And they taught him how to heal his damaged body. And then and then Donald Corey says, later, on his own, he learned how to sh- change his form. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's what you learn on Antos 2, named after Idris Antos. Yeah. Yeah. So... I mean, it's just a wild device. And then yeah. the the fact that he coincidentally has developed the most powerful explosive in the universe. Yeah, while in this fucking ward for the criminally insane, somehow he developed this. So, it again, it beggars belief, but also it, it's completely unnecessary. Yeah. He could have killed Marta 20 other ways and... Escaping with the Enterprise would be enough of a threat. We know that the Enterprise can melt a whole planet. Yeah. I mean, it can beat gods out there. Fucking, like you said earlier, Apollo just got his fucking lunch taken from him. But instead, they give him a shampoo bottle that he claims can blow up a whole planet, which is, of course, utterly impossible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it breaks all of the rules of physics. And for one thing, I've seen the explosion that happened when uh, he put one of those little jimmies into what's-her-name. And uh, it wasn't big enough that all those jimmies would be able to do anything like that. No, you wouldn't think so. No. Uh, and then, I gotta say that blowing Marta up was a really weird decision. Well, he's insane. In, no, no, not for Garth. Okay. 
for the producers. Oh. That they're like, what if he just blows her up and we just show it? <laughs> That's right. What if we just put that on the screen? And because of that decision, they didn't air this episode in England for like 30 years. They didn't miss it, though. No. I'm sure it was described at the moment. Oh, I think I've seen that one. So this episode is Clown Shoes. Yeah. And it drags on and on. Yes. Again, I, I gave it he spent one the, point. One point. He spent the entire episode trying to get the code and he didn't get it. And you're just yeah. like, he tried like four different ways. It's like one of those episodes where Kirk and Spock are just constantly escaping from jail and then they get captured again. You're like, you could have just, if you made a good episode, you'd only have to do this once, but you did it four times. Oh, oh by the way, <clears throat> this is wet horse shit too. At the end, after he stuns Garth, uh, Spock gives the countersign. He, he doesn't even make Kirk give the countersign. Yep. To demonstrate that he made the right choice. Like, we see that Garth is lying there, but, like, hey, one pass, writers, to yeah. show that it was Kirk who came back up. Yep, that would have been good. Uh, so, a one for you. Uh, ben gave it as much as a four. He said, uh, weird that they edited out Garth phasering Spock and just show him getting dragged away. Yep. Um... He does later say that he just stunned him, but, like, we never even see him get shot, so... Right. Uh, Ben says he's having a hard time watching this. I totally get it. Um, Everyone's trying to one-up each other with their Shakespearean acting, and it's awful. Maybe if they got good Shakespearean actors, it would be different. What is it about these people that makes them crazy? Do they have diagnoses? No, they're criminally insane. That's the diagnosis. Listen, it's the last 15 criminally insane people. What more do you want? Yeah, what made him crazy? I don't know. Why doesn't Spock stun both of the Kirks? And they... <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I understand. Yeah, he should have immediately, huh? Yeah, it's a four for him. Um, I settled on a three. I said, this was another silly one about bad guys who make people act out in dumb ways for their amusement. It makes me sick that there are ten more TOSs. <laughs> because at least eight of them will be like this. Um, We've really been on a run, huh? I convinced myself that the guy was crazy and his explosive would be imaginary. So there was at least that small surprise when that lady straight blew up. Yep, that could all have been a lie. Um, It never got to the point where there were actual stakes. It never felt too serious, but it was not fun to watch. It feels like they're playing out the string on this whole series. Um, But next week is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, so I guess we'll find out. If they have anything left in them at all. Yeah. I can't wait. Yep. That's one of the ones, right, when you... (laughs) When we started this project, the whole reason we started doing this is because uh, Ben and your wife both thought that maybe it was possible that TOS was the best of the Star Treks because of all of the hot social issues that they took on. Based on takes. For Marjan, it was based on her assumption that all that matters is what you're going for. Not how you do, just what you're going for. And that's why that's worth a quarter of the points. Yep. Uh, And Let let This Be Your Last Battlefield is one of the episodes that you think of. For sure. They come out and say what it's about all over the place. They got a big take. Racism is dumb. I'm I'm worried about it though. We'll see. We'll I, definitely I, see how much how good this trash episode is. I think I saw it like five years ago. It was the, the last time I've seen it, and I wasn't really paying much attention. So, um, uh, did you did you award it points for world building here? Well, there's Idris Elba too, as I said. Um, 
mental illness in all forms can maybe be eliminated by a single medicine. Because, again, there's not a specific diagnosis on these guys. Yeah, they we just are crazy. really led to believe that these 15 people all have the same condition. Also, there's only 15 of them in the entire Federation. I'm calling bullshit because, as I said again, we've already 15 met... 15 out of billions, we've, Fox says. We've already met well over 15 criminally insane people in the Federation, but okay. Uh, this guy's crazy shape-shifting, cellular metamorphosis uh, thing... How did this mental patient in captivity create the most powerful explosive in the universe, as he claims? This guy used to be a Starfleet captain, and then he tried to do a genocide. Yep. Um, Who gets to be in this fleet? How does it work? Yeah, first of all, what's Izar? What is it? Is this guy human? He might not be human, right? don't know. Uh, he was Starfleet's greatest warrior at a time that Kirk says war was still necessary. Uh, Lee Kwan and Crotus? Mm-hmm. And Crotus. <laughs> or did he say his Crotus? I don't know. <laughs> listen, listen, Crotus is good enough. I, I love that the list went too beyond Hitler. Yep. And this is not the first time we've heard of Lee Kwan. <laughs> Lee Kwan is uh, famous. I don't remember if Crotus has come up before. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Lee Kwan definitely has. Yes, I remembered Lee Kwan, and then he said Cronus, and I that was a good one. Um, all of that, I actually gave the standard three, though a lot of it is pretty baffling. I could see a two. Mm. Uh, Ben's a three, one lone insane, asi- insane asylum because mental illness is very rare. They have a potential cure for it. They house these loonies on a poisoned planet just to be safe, though. And there's a force field. Yeah. Um, the people of Antos are cellular metamorphs. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I gave it as many as five. Oh, wow. And here's why. So we have, of course, the idea. So they keep saying fleet captain. They say it very deliberately. Hmm. It appears to be either a rank or a title. Right. Maybe, um, they have these commodores that have never commanded ships. Yeah. Maybe they're, maybe they're the same uh, pay grade, but like you're a fleet captain if you're, you have you're actually a, out there in right. space, yeah, something like that. Uh, Vulcan nursery school dances are a little sexy. <laughs> yeah, the Battle of Axanar, uh, the Cochrane deceleration. That sounds so much like the Picard maneuver. A lot like it. Doesn't Maybe. it sound so much like the Picard maneuver? Maybe it's the same, and Picard just redeemed it. <laughs> and in the future, they don't teach that anymore, so Picard got away with one. That's right. Uh, the main reason I gave this points is because it seems pretty clear that Starfleet has become an organ of exploration hmm. in Kirk's lifetime. Like, this idea that Starfleet's not exactly the military right. has really come about very recently by the time of TOS. Yeah, and then that makes Enterprise weird, because in Enterprise they talk about how they're all out there to explore or whatever, even though all they do is shoot everything in space. Yeah, it seems like maybe they start out as explorers, and then they just, I don't know, fight the Romulans or whatever. Yeah. And then, and then I guess... Yep. (laughs) Then it swings back the other way. Then it's TOS. The You know, the Empire, long divided, must unite. Right, exactly. That's what everyone says about Starfleet and the Federation. So... Uh, I thought that that was telling us something about the Federation. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, characterization. Ben's a five. 
Kirk is a martyr. Spock is deadpan. Um, we have compassionate woke Kirk this time. Mm-hmm. I thought Spock didn't have much to do, and I wasn't sure if he was taking shots at Kirk at the end. Uh, he was. He was like, okay. uh, I knew who to shoot because whoever lost the fight was you. Right. Because you suck at fighting. You get it? Right. You get, a, then, you get a fucking fat boy is what he wanted to say, <laughs> but he didn't say that. <laughs> uh, it turns out uh, Leonard Nimoy hated this episode, and maybe that's why Spock feels real checked out. <laughs> this is a real Beltran He's performance. Just, he was just like constantly sending memos to the producer about how stupid Spock was in this episode, <laughs> and he couldn't believe it. I like that he cared enough about the character. I guess he's not Beltran after all. Beltran's like, a, uh, what do you want to do with uh, Chakotay this week? Some Indian stuff? Cool. Oh, all right. Right. I don't yeah, care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pay yeah, me. I'll do that. Yeah. Uh, Scotty is good in command again this week, although he ultimately accomplishes nothing. Yep. Uh, but also the scenes accomplish nothing. So it's good for him characterization-wise, but it doesn't doesn't achieve much. Still, I give it a down-the-middle five. I was close to you guys. I gave it a four. Um, Scotty sticking to the code no matter what, which I liked. Uh, spends the whole episode trying to get Kirk free and not giving up the code, but there's not much to learn about what goes on up there. McCoy is in it, but like <laughs> he just stands next to Scotty. The he whole stands time. next to Scotty and goes, that doesn't sound like Jim or whatever. And then you're like, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yep. Um, this guy called Kirk the greatest military mind in the galaxy, but Kirk considers himself an explorer. Uh, well, he called him the second greatest after him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I'm glad Kirk realized Spock was fake because I knew it as soon as he walked into that room with the phaser. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, they already told us would... the guy's got shape-shifting technology. Right. Um, again, McCoy and Sulu are in this, don't do much. Even Spock doesn't do much. He just does a very bad job at identifying real Kirk, which is where my one-point deduction from an average five comes from. The way he just kind of stands around and goes, yeah, but like... Who do you work for? Yeah, Starfleet, let, idiot! Oh, um, That's a real letdown. Yeah, but okay, but how about this? What's your rank? <laughs> You're just like, all right, well, Spock's not very good at this, I guess. Who was the who was the prototypical Starfleet captain? <laughs> yeah, Sir Garth of Izar, that's right. All, right. all right, but while in captivity, what did he claim to have invented? <laughs> Spock, You're not, boy, I don't I'm think not, you're trying. Hey, I'm not good at this. <laughs> um... We're kind of racing through this one. I, I do have some quick hitters. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, By the way, we're racing through this one because it was not fun to watch. There wasn't really anything happening. Again, it was an extremely repetitive episode, both in that everything that happened in this episode has happened in previous episodes, and everything that happened in the first part of this episode happened three or four more times. Yeah. Uh, let's see. This bad guy's super flamboyant. He's got a sweet like fur coat on when they meet him. Um, by the way, that fur coat's ratty as hell. <laughs> well, you know, it's the only one he could find on this planet of insane. It's got a great green tinge to it. Did they just leave? How come they didn't change their clothes when they captured them? Everyone's still in whatever garb yeah, they had. They on. did not put these dudes in jumpsuits or nothing. <laughs> the lady's wearing her bathing suit or whatever. Yep. Uh, I didn't really pay attention to what the Tellarite was wearing or the Andorian, but. Uh, I'm sorry. You know that the Andorian was wearing plaid pants and a huge <laughs> pink feather boa. <laughs> Um, I already asked if this is a He-Man tie-in because they're masters of the universe. And the Tellarite was wearing the standard Tellarite jumpsuit. Uh, good. I'm glad. The kind that maybe the one that got murdered by Sarek maybe wore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, the Sarah maybe murdered. Could have murdered listen, him for sure. Listen, my dad could have done a murder. Who hate, ab- abhors violence yeah. and has never agreed with me joining Starfleet. He absolutely would do a murder if he had a logical reason. Like, please don't misunderstand. He could cold ice somebody right here in this room. In front of us. He'd do it in front of us. Um, this lady alien, of course, has to be all over this weirdo, and then she has to be all over Kirk, and she has to be in a bathing suit, so that's all pretty typical. Shat definitely got to do some shacting when Scotty blew up this dude's <laughs> initial plan. Yep. Like you said, he, he starts off as Kirk enraged before throws he throws an amazing tantrum and pounds on the floor with his fists. And you could <laughs> tell that this is sta- a wooden stage floor, even yeah. though it looks like rock. It's amazing. Uh, that lady danced for an entire five minutes without interruption. Yeah. yeah. I was just sitting there going, I think this is still, still happening. happening. This is kind of yeah. crazy. Uh, I know it was a spur of the moment kind of ceremony. But the best that guy could do for a throne was to put a chair on top of a table. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't so good. And then there's an excellent stunt Kirk oh, when two Kirk. And then he fighting. tells him that he knows even a real throne is just a decoration or a prop or something, right? Like, mm-hmm. Uh and then the the stunt Kirk is pretty obvious when it's Kirk on Kirk action. Oh yeah. As always. What about you? Uh yeah. Uh, so I guess if every single week I'm going to call out all of the bad racism on this show, mm. I should give them points for casting this Asian man as Donald Corey. <laughs> yep. Instead of Mr. Chang or whatever. Right. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Dr. Mr. Chang. Dr. Mr. Chang. I love the plaid pants on this crazy gay Andorian. <laughs> Real into that guy. Is that what they meant by criminally insane? <laughs> yes, in the probably. 60s, in the 1960s and the 2260s. Yeah, 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 yeah. He had unnatural desires, and so <laughs> right, right into the la- right onto Elba too. He just wanted to be poison planet with the last asylum. He just wanted to dress badass and be himself. I um, I guess so. So when I was I was watching it, and I thought, huh, is this going to be Kirk and Spock figuring out if Corey's the real deal? Because you know, Marta warns them. But no, it's not. It's absolutely not that. Because no. thirty seconds later, they discover the tr- the whole trick. Yeah, they pass the other two prisoners and don't even talk to them. They just walk right up to the end and they see him in there. Yeah, so I don't know why she told them. <sighs> she crazy. Yeah, I guess so. Huh? Someone at some point must have seen that the makeup was wearing off of this poor girl's feet. But I guess they didn't think we'd be able to see it on screen. No, as always, this is a. A tiny black and white TV situation, I think. Uh, and by the way, that's Yvonne Craig, who played Batgirl. Oh. Uh, aside from the ratty fur coat that we already talked about, I'm into Garth's whole look. It's pretty it's good. Short blue jacket. He's wearing one blue boot and one green boot, which is a great... <laughs> that's a great look. Because I'm fleet captain, that's why! He's got a lot of gold jewelry. He's, he's doing a thing, and I'm into it. Right. Uh... Kirk is a little bit of a slow thinker with this Spock escape. Like, you never get the impression that until the moment when he asks Spock to give the command, he's suspicious. Mm-hmm. But also, how did Garth learn the Vulcan nerve pinch? I was going to ask that during your, uh, when you were giving the breakdown of what happened. Yeah. I was like, yeah, so I guess he also, when he learned how to do that cellular metamorphosis thing, he also learned the Vulcan neck pinch. You can learn a I lot mean, on Antos, too. The alternative is that Marta's pretending to have been nerve pinched. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm not sure if that character would have been able to do that without hamming it up. 
Yeah, probably not. Neither or the actress, actually. Yeah. Uh oh shit, that's full of knowledge crystals. That's right. Aquarium yeah. gravel. Aquarium gravel. And uh then just once again, it's so idiotic that at the end Spock gives the countersign. Yep. If we- if Wesley Crusher had been there, he would have definitely said, Wait a minute. Since you're all mad at me anyway. I'll just say it. Uh, I, best actor was a real, a real puzzler <laughs> in this one. Tough in TOS. Uh, I gave it to Marta, maybe because the whole thing is a camp fest, and she seems to be the only one who knows that. Okay. And uh, worst actor, d- poor Donald Corey, d- somehow not indicating at all what was causing him pain or how he was feeling. <laughs> now you're in pain. Go. Uh. Oh, oh no. Oh no. Did I do it? Did I do it good? (laughs) Uh, We fucking raced through that. That's okay. It wasn't good. Uh, We'll have lots to say about TNG as always. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have many quick hitters. Mm -hmm. Fourth place last week. Uh, Sorry, it was actually a three way tie for second last week. Yes, last week was weird. So just going by total points order, the next one we're going to talk about is Voyager. This week we watched The Gift. I'm glad you did that at the proper speed. Yeah. The speed of thought. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, Ranking Roger. Yep. Sorry that I An angel profaned, in heaven. Your, profaned your great work by speeding it up 20% in audacity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Uh, the Doctor, Janeway, and Tuvork come down to the cargo bay to chat with Seven. Remember, they, they picked her up last week on the Borg <laughs> adventure. And let her know she's a human now, so she's gonna have to deal with it. Um, she's she's just gonna have to stick around and be a human with them. She doesn't take it super well. Credits. Kess is assisting the doctor in helping to save Seven from being killed by her human immune system, which is what's causing her some problems. It's uh, reasserting itself when she does. Uh, Kess does a full-on telekinesis on a hypospray. She uses the force and pulls the lightsaber over in the Wampa Cave. Mm-hmm. That's what I said. I said that. Uh, and so she's going through some shit now, too. Chakotay gives Janeway a report on all the shit that's broken from their Borg adventure, and she suggests, well, maybe Seven can help. She's a Borg. Yep. She's 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 not. She doesn't like me right now because I just told her she had to be a human and I was not taking her back to the Borg, but yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure we can make this thing work. Um... She's uh, convinced she can find a way to make a connection with her and help her adjust to her new life that is being forced upon her. Um, then the, do- the doctor calls him to sick bay. He can either let Seven die now or take out all of her Borg shit in her body. Because again, for reasons, her human immune system is reasserting itself. Um, Janeway goes, well, she can't really think straight. Right now, so I'm like her legal guardian now, so take all that Borg shit out. 
Yep. This is my new this is my new space daughter. Um Kes does some more scary telekinesis on seven. Oh, by the way, they first both agree that she definitely would not want to have the implants removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why he called her. I think he would have just done it himself, yeah. but he's like, yeah, she she ain't gonna wanna do this. I've been programmed to have like a small amount of medical ethics. <laughs> just I'm not full on flocks over here. Just this much. Uh, Kes does some more scary telekinesis shit on Seven in order to save her life. She does, like, some microsurgery uh, with her mind. Uh, then the doctor makes Seven a new eyeball. That's important for some reason. Um, they wake her up, uh, they spar a bit, and then Janeway orders her to fix all the shit that the Borg broke last week. Go to go to engineering and fix it. I know you're, uh, you're constantly undergoing medical crises, but just go fix it. Um, you got a few hours before you're needed back in sickbay. Go fix our ship. So she does, and she goes down there, and she gets yelled at by Bellana for a while, too. Um, meanwhile, Tuvork is making Kess run laps metaphorically. Yeah. She's trying to help her understand her new powers. If he could have taken that lamp with him, then they would have actually been running laps. <laughs> That's right. It would definitely would have gone wanna, out. He didn't want to spill oil on the carpet. Uh, Kess discovers, quote, a new layer of reality b- beneath the subatomic. That's right. Um, that's cool, I guess. It is cool. Everything gets all wobbly for a second. Um, Seven and Kim are fixing shit together when she sees a chance to contact the Borg. She knocks Harry's ass out, and then she makes her move. But Kess senses what she's doing from across the ship and, like, warps a bulkhead with her mind, which causes big shock. A big shock. You know, (laughs) sparks and shit, as always. This causes the standard plasma panel explosion. Right. Uh, Seven's now confined to the brig, and uh, Janeway tries to guilt trip her, which is pretty wild. (laughs) Uh, Then Seven makes a lot of really good points about how shitty Janeway is being to her. Meanwhile, Kess and Neelix have one last drink. I mean, they have a drink. Um, she loses control of her powers and zaps Neelix, and then the bulkhead uh, in that section goes to shit, and Tuvok and Janeway go down there to find Kess all glowing and shit. They look for a way to, like, keep her locked down, um, and then she and the doctor say goodbye. I mean, they work together for a bit. Right. And meanwhile, Seven starts causing trouble in the brig. She's having a bit of a breakdown. Uh, she threatens to kill Janeway if she comes in the brig, but again, that's Janeway's new baby, so... They, like, fight a little bit, and they hug a little bit. Uh, Janeway goes to see Kess, who says it's time to leave Voyager, not only to keep them safe, but also to go on this magical journey. Um, yeah, that, she's doing transfigurations. Yeah, she's transforming into something. I think just like Ironheart, she says she's becoming. Yeah. Um, Kess feels that's, her... Uh, that's right, that's a reference from a better show. That's, that's a Babylon 5. I wouldn't necessarily say a better episode, because that was <laughs> not the best episode of Babylon 5. It's but. kind of butts, but it does have Moesha's dad in it as Ironheart. Um, Cass feels her transformation starting and shit starts getting fucked up all over the ship. She can't really control it. Um, she doesn't think she can get off the ship before it blows up. So Tuvork mind melds with her and gives her the strength to get to a shuttle. Uh, she departs Voyager and once she's away, she gives them a gift. She fixes the warp core, I guess. And then Voyager goes into crazy hyper-warp at speeds uh, TP claim are impossible. 
And he's been to Warp 10, so he ought to know. He's been to Warp 10 and became a, a whole catfish alligator. And I he's... don't feel like an axolotl. I don't <laughs> think this is Warp 10. <laughs> yeah, we're not quite at Warp 10. I know what happens then, but we're going real fast. Uh, they drop out of Warp and find they've traveled 9,500 light years toward home. Safely away from Borg space and uh, 10 years off their journey, but not at the speeds they go, for sure. <laughs> not if they keep stopping every week. Um... Seven is posing for a picture that nobody takes in her new cat suit. <laughs> well, maybe like TV Guide was there to take a picture. I think TV Guide was there. <laughs> maybe with a great like era appropriate headline like bombshells <laughs> in space. <laughs> Probably. The doctor says he's balanced functionality and fashion or something. Um, Just give her a crewman's outfit. Seriously. Um, Seven and Janeway chat a bit. And then I guess we could start to believe that maybe everything will work out with those two. Tuvok looks at a candle like the one he and Kess used to look at and we're out. (laughs) This one for sure had a take, right? Uh, I suppose that the message of this episode is not all people are competent to make decisions for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, that's got to be worth a lot. Sometimes the state must step in to protect them. Oh, okay. I mean, the, the episode contrasts Janeway denying Seven the right to go back to the Borg. Mm-hmm. And Kess choosing to leave the ship. And Janeway, Janeway like, says to her, I won't stop you, but I'll I'll keep arguing against you forever. Oh, God, we got to get you to a shuttle. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I promise I will never stop saying you should stay. Oh, everything's on fire. Oh, okay. Oh, boy, time to go. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I think that uh, Janeway does a very poor job stating her case <laughs> against yeah. Seven. Like you said, Seven has all the good points. Yep. But I believe that we're supposed to contrast those two ideas. I think that's right. Uh, it's something. It doesn't, for instance... Like, Janeway doesn't have a plan, like, here's when you're going to be allowed to make all these decisions for yourself. Yeah. To the point where Seven says, uh, when I'm done with all this, if I want to go back to the Borg, will you let me? <laughs> and Janeway and won't Janeway commit. just says, uh, you won't want to. <laughs> That's right. She goes, ah, yeah, I mean, if you're dumb. If you're a dummy, I guess. That's execution. Yeah. Uh, I think that the take is is okay, but it would have been better if there had been a take about what makes you competent to make the big decisions about your life instead of just some people aren't. I gave it, you know, I gave it five, but it's only a four. Yeah, Ben also gave it a four. Uh, He points out that this is all obviously just a device to replace Cass with Seven of Nine. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, Something like everyone has their own journey to self-actualization, which for him is a so what. Uh, I guess mine was more cynical. I had, you thought freedom to choose was a basic human right, but you actually have to prove you deserve it. (laughs) So Cass gets to do what she thinks is best for herself, and nobody argues with her because they've been around her and trust her judgment, but Seven's a crazy robot baby who can't think for herself, and Janeway has to be her space mom and overlord, and so it's, uh, it's up to Janeway to decide. So it was only a one for me. Yeah. Uh, but maybe you thought that they did a real good job with it. Well, uh, obviously we were on the exact same page about what the point of the Kess plot was. So Janeway not trying to stop Kess from leaving is supposed to show she's really looking out for Seven. She's right. not just 
mean. But it, I'm not really convinced. So she seems kind of crazy. Like, if somebody's been a Borg for 20 years and have no memory of anything else, of, like, being a human baby or whatever, can you just tell them to shut up and eat it forever and hope they'll eventually just agree with your worldview? Well, Janeway hasn't seen Suddenly Human. Okay. <laughs> will she so see she it? Make, she, I don't think she will. Okay. Because I didn't know. I mean, like, what does it mean if you heard... So if, if Janeway said she hasn't seen Suddenly Human yet, what would you take that to mean? Does she really want to see it? <laughs> um, so I guess, is the right to choose what to do with your life? Like, if that isn't something you get for free, then what is Star Trek? Uh, it's a good question. The only thing I would offer in defense of this pretty flawed episode is we don't give that right to children and babies. Like, sure, we do at some point decide, okay, now you can make these calls. Yeah, and that's why I keep calling her the, the robot baby from space. Right. And there are points when Janeway announces, because I don't know what, what she's based this on, well, she's still an eight-year-old girl. Well, is she, though? <laughs> yeah, like, is that really how this works? Is she, though, Catherine? Also, what is she? Have we? Do we know what she is? Like, have we? has this ever happened to anybody else? She says, oh, there have been people who used to be Borg. I, I mean, I can think of, like, one. Yeah, there's Locutus. I can think of one, but he was a human for, like, 65 years. And then he was a Borg for a week. Yep. And then also, uh, you know, Chakotay met those ex-Borgs that couldn't wait to be Borgs again. Yeah, he, so, yeah, I guess that's true. They just wanted to be different Borgs. Yeah, they wanted to be Borg light, I think is what they called it. Just um, for the taste of it. Wait, that's Diet Coke. <laughs> it was so close. You were almost there. There's no light in there. I don't know. I don't know. No, they wanted to tap light. the Rockies is what they wanted to do. There we go. Um, so the silver bullet. That's right. Uh, Seven's arguments about being left behind because she, um, she can't go on is something that sounds kind of rational and wouldn't hurt anybody else. You know, like, <laughs> it's true. But Janeway's like, if you just stay here and do what I say for a year or 10 years or 60 years, eventually I'll brainwash you and your choices will be my choices. And then you'll have earned your freedom. <laughs> yeah. Because like we said, she straight tells her, you won't want to do that. You're not going to want it. I can't <laughs> believe you'd want to do that. What? Otherwise, it's a plot episode, you know, ditching one main character, establishing another. It serves that purpose fine, I guess. Um, they don't bother coming up with a rationale for putting her in that cat suit. No. Just that the doctor well, they did do. his best. The doctor's horny. Yes, exactly. It can't, and it can't be undone, by the way. And just like Riker, he's horny on main. Yep. And now that she just has... in front of everybody. Now that she has the cat suit, they can't, like, in three weeks go... No. I've had this cat suit on for a while, and I don't see anyone else on the ship wearing it. Can I have a regular outfit? I cannot wait for season six when Edward Jellicoe comes on board <laughs> and tells her, put on a regular uniform, and then she just does for She's the rest like, of the She's like, I was just doing as I was told. Um, my boss and her doctor told me to do this. Um, I mean, they don't come up with a rationale in Enterprise either, but they don't. They have the decency not even to bring it up. <laughs> it's true. They, they no don't. one says. No one says. Yeah. I'm happy with the, with the outfit that I made for you. Yeah, no, it's like, well, I don't know what Vulcans wear, but I did my best to meld fashion, which is important, and functionality, uh, which this does not have. Loose robes yes. is what we wear. Yeah. This is the opposite? This is the opposite well, of what my people always, wear. Always, for all times, it's been loose robes? This is the, uh, how? Could, just think of what the opposite of a big loose robe is, and that's what you put me in. 
No, they don't even talk about it in our price, which I actually appreciate. Um, overall, it was a three for me. Uh, ben Ben gave it as many as five. Okay. He says good. there's good makeup work. How would Tuvok know anything about telekinesis? It's uh-huh. way beyond his powers. It's a real good question. Weird tete-a-tete with Neelix turns Kess into a godlike creature. Janeway comes off real bad here. Maybe Seven of Nine has a point. This is all very cruel. Yeah. Uh, uh, Techno Babble Voyager declines to state how fast they're going at the end. Yep. And then Ben thinks maybe they went 10 light years, but it's, they're pretty clear it's 9,500. Um, <laughs> and then the gift of slinging them so far is nice, but it still seems pretty insignificant overall. Yeah, I really. Yeah, what's the point? You know, well. Well, uh, let's just swing into my execution. So I yeah. gave it three as well. Okay. Uh, the whole episode's very rushed. Yes. Cass goes from normal to gone in one episode, and Seven goes from full Borg to cat suit, and also hair. Yeah, he gave her hair too, cause because he stimulated her hair follicles, and then he makes a little joke about how he's bald. Yeah, uh, and he g- gives her like a real um, slicked back uh, future do. Yeah. So, you know, a braver show would have let these things play out a little more. Yep. They wouldn't have slammed this all into one episode. But uh, clearly, so this is all decisions that the network made. Yeah, this show seems about as brave as Battlestar Galactica when yeah. Apollo goes from fat guy to uh, ripped Apollo in yeah. uh, less than one episode. We see him do 20 sit-ups or something, and then he's... Yeah, he's, then he's jacked. And he's jacked like he used to be. Um... Like, the network was like, hey, the ratings suck. We're, we need to add a new character. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, but we're not going to increase your budget. So we have to get rid of an, another character. And eventually they settled on Kess. There are rumors that Harry Kim was the first choice. Oh, my God. This, I can't believe they didn't get rid of Harry Kim. Yeah. I mean, Kess sucks. But it's mostly because they keep telling us she's too insexy. <laughs> yes. Like, if they, they just sort of, cut back on that, it would be a little bit nicer. They sort of forgot about any of the things they wanted to do with her, I think. Jesus. Oh, my God, um, can you imagine if they'd gotten rid of Garrett Wang? Ugh. And then the ne- the network was also clearly like, also, we have to get back to pushing the reset button at the end of every episode right away. Like, hey, we can't spend an arc on this. Is that why Garrett Wang was all uh, vined up in the previous episode when they got him with their their attack? Uh, it is possible that they did. They were not certain by the time they went into the cliffhanger how, what they were going to do. They certainly had not yet cast Jerry Ryan by that point. Yeah, she only showed up in the the. Or they would have teased her at the end of that episode, right? Like yeah. if she'd been there. So it is possible that they had him all vined up because he was a strong contender. They need to give a deathbed speech about how they have to make the alliance work, and then Chakotay would go, "I don't want to." Right. <laughs> Um, but because it's so rushed, there's like, there's weird stuff where Kess never says goodbye to the doctor. Nope. Who? She never says goodbye to Tom Paris, her alternate future husband. Yep. There, since every man on the ship was interested in her, she could only say goodbye to uh, Neelix. And, um, uh, well, she's, again. Well, what she said to Neelix was, we're broken up now, right? <laughs> we're, we're officially broken up. It's for real. I don't know if you were still wondering. Well, they give us the scene with the doctor where she's like, oh, I miss you. I just want to work with you a little bit. Yeah. So it's not and a goodbye. He, 
And then he says, okay, you could stay for a while. And then she walks off camera to God knows where. Uh-huh. And yeah, she doesn't say anything to TP or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, again, it's rushed, but also they waste a lot of time in this episode, too. The uh, the broken warp drive stuff Ugh. and the the did seven of nine contact the Borg are the Borg coming stuff. Yeah. Neither of those play out at the end of the day. No, especially because they like, get warped all the way away from the Borg. Well, they get warped all the way away from Borg space, but like Kes goes out in that shuttle and I'm like, here's where the Borg are going to suddenly warp in and then Kes is going to fix the thing yeah. as she transforms. But no, the Borg don't even show up. They just, Voyager just gets whipped the fuck out of there. So they could have cut any of that. By the way, I didn't see it, but maybe you can confirm for me. Did anybody spin around slowly in the on the bridge when, no. when she warped them? <laughs> no, I wasn't. It was, they, they didn't, and they also didn't go into a wormhole and then belay that phaser order. Neither of those things really happened. They missed, enough, said, missed opportunity. As you said, Tom Paris just did thought that their speed was impossible. Yeah. Uh, we never really have a full discussion of the ethics of what Janeway's doing. And that sucks because when you remember the aliens in Star Trek stand in for races and cultures mm. back on Earth, Janeway's argument sort of boils down to it doesn't matter if you were adopted by a Chinese family when you yeah. were a child. You're really white. That's right. And that's eventually going to assert itself. <laughs> eventually, you won't want anything to do with those ching 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 chong peoples. Yeah. So, I'm confident. <laughs> that's probably what she would say. So, as usual, they mismanaged their 42 minutes. Yeah. And it weakened the episode, and I ended up giving it three points for Isn't execution. that what the execution score is all about? Did you really, mismanage your 42 minutes, or in really, TOS's yeah. case, your 51 minutes, or whatever? A, a lot of my score does come down to time management yeah like you it's paced too fast it's paced too slow it, and then the other half is none of this makes sense yeah <laughs> which is not a time management problem but a lot of the time it is this somehow rushed and also <laughs> had a lot of moments that didn't need to be in it well i mean that's the story of this episode yeah. is they're fucking slamming through plot and they're wasting time all right but i'm sure i'm sure they killed it on world building that's what Voyager does best. They're in a new quadrant. They're always going to be adding to this beautiful world of Star Treks. Yeah, Ben's a three, dermoplastic grafts, telekinesis, and telekinetic surgery. Mm. A new level of reality. Kess is transforming. Uh, and then the ship is still pretty borgy at the end. Yeah. I gave it a four. Okay. Um... Level three engineering rating. She needs so everybody who has at least a level three rating needs to go down there and fix so, that shit. So everybody's got some rating. Right. And even if you're not an engineer, you can get pulled in. By the way, Janeway then does not go down. Is she not level three? Yeah, last week. Because if she's not, she's been making a lot of wild proclamations. <laughs> last week she was on the Borg ship building that weapon and everything. I think she's probably a pretty good engineer. Seems like she should be at least level three. Well, she was busy talking to her daughter. From uh, Seven's backstory, we learn about Deep Space Four mm-hmm. and uh, flight plans. By the way, in Babylon Five, we learn about all the other Babylon stations. Yeah, how come in Deep Space Nine we didn't hear dick about Deep Space Eight? I hope it's not. I hope Deep Space Eight didn't explode or disappear mysteriously. <laughs> no, the, I mean Deep Space Nine is also not our last best hope for peace. <laughs> no. Oh, thank God, because then they would have failed, and then we would have had the darker music for season three or whatever. Also, flight plans, which are sort of optional. 
Yeah. Or nobody gave a shit. Yeah. One of the two. They did just they just didn't fucking book one. They didn't they didn't submit a flight plan. We have uh whatever the hell Seven of Nine says about Galactic Cluster Three. Yeah. Where the millions of omnicordal aliens, whatever that is. Yeah, I'm sorry. Why are you saying whatever? Uh it's a transmaterial energy plane, bro. Okay. Like figure it out. <laughs> it's transmaterial. Uh Hey, some kind of new layer of reality where thought is merged with energy and matter. Hint, hint, hint. I've heard hint, of that. Hint, hint, where I've no heard one has it. gone before. I've heard Maybe of it. I gave it a 10. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> yep. Uh, and then in the end of this, they're 10 years closer to home. So I gave this a four for world building. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Voyager's still all Borgy, as uh, Ben points out. So there's some continuity there. Um, for some reason, Seven's human biology is reasserting itself. I think just because she's not connected to the mind, the hive mind anymore. But they don't yeah. say. Kess's weird powers, and again, since you were talking about it, theory corner, is she a traveler? Listen to her description of what's happening to her, all this shit about matter and energy and thought. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Wesley talks about space and time and thought. So whatever. She's not going to get I it think, all right. It's instinctual. I think it's, I think it's the same idea. It seems like it. Although... And by the way, my guess is that's an accident. Wesley just meets some Indians. <laughs> she fucking sets everything on fire and shit. She blows shit up. I mean, he stops time and prevents Worf from... Uh, yeah. All right. So he he pulls an Eevee. Forced relocation. Pulls an Eevee sitting with Uncle Bino and stops time. That's out of this world. <laughs> um, last Her dad lives in one of those decanters that the, <laughs> they're always pouring Romulan ale out of. Uh, last week they were warping along just fine, but now they're stuck at impulse for technobabble reasons. Yeah, some some stuff, some crud got in the plasma injector. You got all crudded up. Like you said, Deep Space Four, the Mission 7's parents were uh, went on in the um, Omega Sector. <laughs> yep. Um, you think that's uh, one of the nearer sectors, or is it kind of far <laughs> out? What would you guess, that's the, based on name Omega and the fact what? that it's near Deep Space Four? I've been fooled before. I'm not going to even voyager a guess. Um a new layer of reality beneath the subatomic species 259 in Galactic Cluster 3. Again, it's a transmaterial energy plane. Don't pretend you don't know that. Um, Seven was born on the Tindara colony. And on Stardate 25-something. Yep, I'll give it a three. For me, that's a three. It'd be cool if she more explicitly said that she was becoming a traveler. Um, Characterization. Ben went big on this. Gave it a fat six. Uh, Kess is a telekinetic now. I suppose it was triggered by the weird aliens, but they don't really do anything other than hand wave it. Yeah, we don't know why. They speculate that it was triggered by the weird aliens, and then the whole thing runs away on them. That's and they right. don't ever look into it. Uh, Janeway's certain certain she's right in telling the Doctor to humanize 709 right away, even though 709 said not to, and the Doctor said it was against his ethics. Yep. <laughs> yep, well, oh well. Um... Uh, Janeway says she can imagine what it's like to be Borg. Uh, ben doesn't seem to believe that. Um, Bolanos no, and what she should have said, by the way, was, I don't know what it's like to be Borg, but I do know what it's like to be human. Yeah. And you're going to be okay, right? But instead she did say, but I can imagine. I can imagine. It's not that hard. Uh, lots of, like, she said, circuits. Yes, I'm not a parent, but I do have a dog. <laughs> That's right. Assuming so that it hasn't been put right back into the replicator. <laughs> that dog was deleted, bro. <laughs> As soon as he realized he she wasn't coming out back. the command. <laughs> uh, computer, uh, remove dog. Remove 
Delete one dog. Computer, I have it. It's in it's in the replicator slot. It's trying to get out though. Just delete dog. Um Balana's a little computer, computer do the dishes. <laughs> computer the dishes are very hairy. Computer, do the dishes. This laundry needs to be done right away. Look at it. This la- this laundry's out of hand. Sorry, we titled a whole episode minus one dog, so there's we don't need to go into this more. Balana's a little snitty, but adjusts to the idea that seven of nine is part of the work crew right away. I mean, I guess. Um Mr. Vulcan tries to help Kess, but he's ineffectual as usual. He must have an overblown sense of his own powers. You can tell when he tries a mind meld when she's turning into some higher plane being. It's true. He's like, hold on, everyone out of the way. I'll Listen, do we've it. Seen, we've seen Spock, the proto-Vulcan, yeah. the half-Vulcan, try to mind meld a rock. Yeah, it worked. Uh, the door. Sure, right through the door. The probe nomad. Uh-huh. Uh, Vulcans, uh, that once unit. Vulcans decided that it, it wasn't gay to do mind melds on each other, they really went buck wild with them. Open They're pretty confident about them. That unit is a woman. It's a woman. Um, he says, Janeway is a cruel dictator, hashtag not my captain. But he still gave it a six. Yeah. I didn't hear one <laughs> positive thing, but it was a six. Yeah, it's true. Ben's like that sometimes. Uh, mine's going to sound a lot like his, but the score is going to end up somewhat lower. Um... Janeway's convinced she can be buddies with Seven and also that she'll have to decide everything for Seven until Seven thinks just like her and wants to do the things she wants to do. Straight talks to her like a scary Borg voice when she needs her help to fix shit. You must comply. comply. What's happening? You can't do that. And then she doesn't like wink at the doctor like, see, I'm trying trying some Borg shit with her. Do you see what I'm doing? (laughs) It's just kind of like, oh, that's just inside me. Yeah, I'm just going to manipulate people however I fucking need to to get the job done. My ship needs to be fixed. Um, You already used Chinese, so I'll say, here's to Japanese stability. (laughs) When she says to Tuvok, here's to Vulcan stability. That's what I thought of. Yep, that is true. I've got a crazy Borg and whatever's there. Jesus. You said Chinese earlier. Look at this chi- look at this Chinaman over here all crazy. No, no, yeah, I get it, but I was trying to I couldn't even remember but she was contrasting again seven and uh who's demented being diminished and uh, yeah. Cass who's becoming something crazy. Here's, Here's to Vulcan stability. Ugh. Remember when you were a traitor? <laughs> Those were good times. Remember how you're not a good teacher? Remember how I had to reduce you two steps in rank? Uh, Janeway tries to guilt trip Seven when she tries to escape. Like, this isn't all Janeway's fault. Yep. Like, she told her, I don't want to be here, please leave me behind, and she didn't. So then she tries to escape, she's like, you betrayed us! Like, whoa! (laughs) And she steadfastly refuses to let Seven choose her own path. Uh, the Doctor seems to think of everything happening with Seven as a neat new project. Also, even though he's the ship's resident perv, even among so many pervs, they let him... Put her in that outfit. He makes it sound like the outfit is doing some Borg things for her. And I think he just says that so no one will question him. <laughs> you guys because know. There's, he says he's balancing functionality with, with aesthetics. What functionality? That's what I'm saying. It's a cat suit. There's no functionality. Guys, don't... Is the, is the functionality that you can see the shape of her body? Don't come at me on this. This is all Borg stuff happening. She needs this. For Borg stuff. Um, Tuvok is like, Kes, what do you know about powers? You have to learn powers from me. Yeah. Meanwhile, she's doing microsurgery with her mind and shit. 
she see inside someone's brain and also recognize what nerve she's looking at. Yeah, she's like outstanding with these powers. Tuvok needs to back the fuck up. Um, I guess he'll really miss her, though. She was so sexy and only three. How will every male on the ship get by now? He does light a candle for her. Oh, the robot with big cans. Okay, that's how they'll get by. That's what they're going to do to get by. Uh, Seven's going through it right now. Not sure we'll be able to say any more than that about her for a while. Uh, She makes a lot of good points about Janeway's BS, though. Balana is super bitchy when Seven goes down to engineering, as if she can't understand the difference between a disconnected Borg drone and the collective mind responsible for making her engineering room a bit messy. It's also real petty. Yeah. Like... Ah, uh, you you Borgs fucked up my engine room. My engine room doesn't look you personally. nice. I might get in trouble. It, all engineers are like this. This is why they assumed Scotty would be a killer of women. <laughs> I mean, well, also, he did get hit in the head because of that woman. Yeah, she caused the accident that led to him getting hit in the head. I mean, so that would make you women. hate women, for sure. McCoy, sure. He's really, he's certain. It's a medical fact. Um, he's a mental health expert. He knows all about deleting the memories of your crazy dad. I was telling my Marjan forgot about that. I was telling her about that the other day. Well, that's how they cured the, all the other people besides the 15. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, they didn't try to remove the memory. Going back to TOS, they didn't try to remove the memories of all these people's fathers. Yep, they should have gotten in there and said, hey, Garth, uh, think about your dad for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you feel? I don't know. I just see everything I've done. It's been wrong. Um, Harry Kim is a new layer of suck below the subatomic in this episode. Unable to make small talk with this cyborg lady. What's uh, happening in that scene? Is he like, attracted uh, to her or scared of her or both? I, I honestly couldn't tell. And that's because of his usual acting prowess. <laughs> but, uh, it's a, and by the way, it's a wild move. They're like, uh, also Harry Kim is real horny for this Borg. This is way this pre-cat is, yes, suit. This is, yeah, she's still mostly Borg at this point. And he's like, oh, hey, hey, you come here, come here often. Ah, stupid Harry, come on. Oh, jeez. Come on, Harry, come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what's happening? <laughs> um, so that's not good. Hey, I, I asked here, because this is in real time, did TP even get a little league line in this episode? Oh, he did at the end when uh, yeah, yeah, when yeah. they went impossible speeds. Also, they uh, when they say uh, we're getting cast to the shuttlecraft, she's got to get off the ship, they do, like, they pan over to they TP. They show him. They show him. They show him reacting. As if to say, oh, you're, you're not going to get to say goodbye. That's right. You don't get to say goodbye to your three-year-old could have been lover. Um, so anyway, I was at a two. Me and Ben had almost all the same points, but he was a six. I was a two. This is this is going to be interesting because our pregame scores were not that different. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be the second in a row where I'm a few points ahead of you. Oh, okay. It'll flip around on the backside, I guess. Yeah, the backside's going to be the other way. When I use Uh, my my main finger top-wise. Characterization. Maternalistic Janeway. But also, Janeway gets off on making these tough decisions, right? Remember how ice cold she was in Tuvix? I'll never forget. (laughs) Fucking R.I.P. Now she's really... Really kind of enjoying it this week. She she likes being, I'm going to make the hard decisions. I'm the captain. Oh, that's what she was like last week, too, on the Borg Adventure. This is true. When they when, when he's like, you know, they started that space war. I mean, that that water space war, right? Like, he invaded them. They've been lying to you. And she's like, yeah, but still. Yeah. Um. 
I guess we get a scene where Neelix acknowledges that Cass is out of his life. That wasn't too bad. I think that this show has forgotten about Neelix. I did. I didn't even put a note in there. And um, it's a shame because we've seen before he is one of the stronger actors on the show. Yeah, dude. He can carry such as a Jutrell. Yeah. I mean, sort of. He half carried it. Uh, this is a big one here is Seven of Nine. And I think that all of her emotions have been pretty understandable so far, even if she, again, for television reasons, is coming along too fast. Yep. Uh, and also, despite the fact that they gave her a real stinker of a line to go out on in this episode. I don't even remember it. Oh, uh, that girl you were talking about, her favorite color was red. Oh, God, yeah, she's walking away. Mm. Mm. That's a shame. That, that line was a real shame. Turns out she does remember her childhood quite well. Yeah. I think it's what we're going to come to learn. Uh, but they left two important characters out of the cast story, and all of the minor cast is just doing techno babble this week. Yes. So, I'm going to go to five. Uh, what about on the quick ones? Quick ones. Um, Voyager has enough of the Federation database on board that they have a picture of this girl from the weirdo family that didn't want to be a part of the Federation from 18 years ago. And Janeway's disappointed it's all they could find. <laughs> She's like, all we could find was this one photo. Uh, Janeway executed Tuvix while he was in front of her t- saying, please don't kill me. <laughs> so this implant decision can't have been hard for her. No, this is relatively easy. This was the weak shit for sure. He's like, I'm a living, breathing, sentient person in front of you. I'm begging you, please don't murder me. Everyone don't let her murder me. And she's like, nope. <laughs> nice <necessary>. try. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then she walked out with a real cold look on her face. <laughs> yep. Uh, Matt, did I miss a scene? Did I sleep, fall asleep, and miss a scene okay. where Chakotay said to Janeway, Catherine, Seven is a child. <laughs> we have to treat Is that her why such. she said to her, you must comply? <laughs> did the doctor stick his head over and go, my God, man, what do you want me to do? Give her a spanking? Uh, Tuvok, uh, seems real skeptical when Kess says that she's discovered a new realm of reality below the subatomic. And mm-hmm. he says, there's nothing below the subatomic. Uh, four minutes before that, he says to her, manipulate the flame on a subatomic level. <laughs> yep. Uh, like she's, she, what's she doing in there? She returning some electrons to low energy states. Is she going to flip a quark or two around? Yeah. Like that's, that's the first step in his oil lamp puzzle. Is to manipulate the flame on the subatomic level. Well, he's an expert, so. Uh, I bet they sold this lamp prop at one of those auctions, and I bet someone smokes weed out of it now. <laughs> did um, did we talk about whether we know if Avery Brooks kept that clock? <laughs> no, it's a good question. I hope he did. I hope he got to keep the clock, because I feel like the actor was as excited as the character about that clock. Yeah. And I Probably hope in the script they were like he's building something weird and and Avery Brooks was like a clock and they're like okay give <laughs> yeah, me a clock uh, yeah I guess it's a clock we were gonna say something else but yeah clock works why do you got uh, something in mind that's like weirdly low tech compared with what we were gonna do but yeah, yeah but why it not would a be clock? amazing okay well I guess it's a clock right. now guys we're gonna build a clock uh, I like to think that Avery Brooks stopped by the set and took that candle <laughs> okay puts it next to his <laughs> clock all right. 
he's just dropping by. He's just collecting. He's just collecting. Uh, you know, all the good, all the good props from Star Trek. He's got. Uh, he was. He's he got was that. Little... He's got that statue that was in Groppler Zorn's office, and then Riker's quarters. That's right. He picked up the intact Curlin Neskos after yep. they finished filming Generation. Richard Picard threw it on the ground. <laughs> Red Letter Media did great in that scene. When he's like this thing that he was so amazed by. Nah, I'll just throw it on the oh. ground. This ain't it. <laughs> um, no, we that we know that Harry Kim's bad at small talk. You didn't have to show that. Yeah, really. It was that wasn't doing it. That wasn't doing any useful work. It wasn't hard to watch because of the cringeworthy dialogue. Like, oh no, he's so bad at small talk. It was, oh no, these writers keep making us look at this. Like, why are yeah. they doing this? Hey, um, did Harry Kim fall on that guy? Knock him out. <laughs> Why did they not? Why were they not able to stop Seven? She's got super board strength. She throws him out that door. He hits the security guard who's standing there. Next thing we know, they're calling up to the bridge. Hmm. And maybe they were hoping uh, Doctor Crusher would come by. Isn't that who's supposed Again, to show up when you call for security or whatever? Yeah, generally Doctor Crusher walks on by. Mm-hmm. Um. Schmollis tells Cass she can stay for a while and then she walks out of the shot and the scene's over. So who knows? It doesn't even seem like she stayed. I would under under her breath, she's walking away and goes, nah, I don't want to. Never mind. And another way you know that Janeway never saw Suddenly Human is because she thinks that showing uh, Seven a photo of her as a kid is going to reach her. Yeah. She should have tried the Banar. She should have. She should have at least allowed Seven to make the Banar. That would have been a good start. Then she wouldn't look like such a dictator. Picard likes discipline, and he tells that boy to do a lot of things, but I guess does he even let him make the Banar, or does he yell at him every time? She didn't take Seven to play racquetball. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> put him in some uh, biker, some fucking biker shorts or whatever. I wonder if that's a good episode. Probably not, huh? No, it just seems like it's bad, but I guess we'll find out in time. I bet it has a take. I'm sure that it does. Uh, Picard ends up leaving him with the the Tolarians, right? The Tolarians, who may or may not have been beating him up, I think was the point of the episode. Yeah. Uh, best actor, probably controversial, but Manic Kess is my favorite Kess. And like when she was eating those bugs? Like when she was eating the bugs, mm. or in this episode, like when she just can't not make the table warp or whatever because she's so into it. Again, that's her real craziness coming out. Yeah, I think That's so. That's Jennifer Lean. So her, her own actual manic energy surfacing. And a worst actor I gave to Stone-Faced Candle Tuvok. I have no idea if he was attempting to portray an emotion or if he just, if the entire scene said Tuvok lights a candle. <laughs> That's it. And when he got there, he was surprised that they had robes for him. He's like, oh, I got to wear some ceremonial robes for this candle. Okay, it's a ceremonial candle. Yeah. And also, uh, Tuvok definitely has one of the better staterooms on the ship. Like, it seems like he's got all three of those big windows, and then when they pull away, there's, like, five of those three window rooms on that side of the ship. He rates those big quarters because he teaches so many telekinesis classes out of there. Yeah. What about you? Uh, Ben only had the one. He said, I am one, is what Seven says, her line. And he says, already more acting on display than Jolene Blaylock's whole cat-suited career. I mean, yeah. I I definitely don't like Jolene Blaylock. Um... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if Seven of Nine turns out to be a better actress. I think that's the consensus. 
I had, did nobody call for security to stop Seven and Engineering until Tuvok made the call after Kess had a telepathic feeling and told him about it? Nah, they called up to the bridge, and then they sent a security team down there, but they didn't call Tuvok? Yeah, and then Tuvok calls for a security team. And then Tuvok calls for a security team, so two, <laughs> no one, different, no one, two fuck, different people called for security teams because they couldn't get their shit together. No one calls him and goes, yeah, we know. Thanks. Gosh. Uh, and that was actually it. The rest of it I, I've used it all. Well, as usual, we did about 40 minutes on Voyager. It's so bad that we can't not talk about it. Uh, third, uh, next in the order is Enterprise. This week we watched Azadi Prime. Oh, finally! Of the soul, no one's going to bend or break me. Yeah. Um, Enterprise drops out of warp in the Red Giant system. And discover a Zindi detection grid and a lot of activity. Yep. Also, a convoy is approaching the grid, and they recognize that the lead ship is Degra's. So, they know that guy. Yeah, also, despite the fact that they left him unconscious in a broken ship, he has caught up because of their adventures yeah, they have the not been fast to make it to that place that's what i said they did not beat okay, him there I, I don't want to get too deep into this shit because you still have to give all of the episode description <laughs> but i did have in my notes i forgot how they ended it with digger last time and i was very surprised to find him there yeah. like i didn't know if he got away or what happened anyway we cut over to degra's ship and he's convened a little mini council there's no insectoids there and the whales aren't there obviously dolphin boy Dolphin Boy's not there. Oh. Uh, he gives gives a little toast to the completion of his weapon. A uh, new era for the Zindi. Uh, anyway, Enterprise can't get through the detection grid. So Archer's going to send Trip and Mayweather through in that shuttle they stole. Right. And while they're f- figuring out the controls, which they have not been doing, apparently. No, they didn't really study it very much. Uh, Hoshi installs a translation matrix so that they don't have to do that thy freighter Ursva thing. Although that was a big hit. It was a good time. The Klingons in, enjoyed in Star Trek that. 6. Yeah. Oh, the Klingons were into it for sure. Yeah, dude. We are thy freighter Ursva. We am condemning supplies and things to ruin Food supplies and things. Food supplies right? and things. For, yeah. Don't catch don't any bugs. catch any bugs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Great movie. <laughs> So Archer sends uh, sends the, the two boys through the grid to try and scan the weapon. Uh, and they, you know, they have a, a hard time. Clown Patrol has a little bit of a hard time with it. They trade paint with Enterprise for a minute. But then they uh, they get on through the grid. And once they're through, Enterprise can't scan them anymore. Hmm. But it's not too sinister. They go down. They go underwater. They discover the weapons down there. Also, a monitoring station on a nearby moon scans Enterprise. And Archer knows that once it flips back around to the other side, they'll call for help. So mm. he has them all killed. Yeah, it just shoots There's a only torpedo down, down there. there. Yeah. Um, they get back from the weapon, and Trip and Reed think it's suicide mission time. Yeah. We're gonna fly inside this thing, blow up some torpedoes, destroy the whole weapon. So Archer says, "Great, that's cool. I'm doing it. I'm gonna die." Yeah. 
But he steps into a turbo lift and suddenly he is on the Enterprise J 400 years in the future in the middle of a battle. And there's Daniels. God, this guy won't go away. <laughs> he won't go away, but he also refuses to be useful. Yes. Uh, he tells Archer they're here at the Battle of uh, Procyon 5, as he pronounces it, mm-hmm. where the Federation defeats the Sphere Builders because they have turned a 50,000 light year area of space into the, uh, the weird thing from the, the weird thing from uh, Harbinger. Yes. Not the regular expanse. The, the jelly one. Thing. Yeah. Uh, so he says that in this battle, the Federation is going to defeat the Sphere Builders and drive them back into their interdimensional realm. Mm-hmm. And because the Sphere Builders have seen this possible future, they're manipulating the Zindi to destroy humanity just to avoid this outcome. Yeah. And he tells Archer that he can't die. He has to go back and make peace with the Zindi to stop this whole thing from happening. And he gives him a little bottle cap that he says belongs to an Enterprise J crewman of Zindi origin. Oh, so they do exist in the future. Apparently. Hmm. And they're part of the Federation. Uh, back on the Enterprise, t uh, tries to convince Archer that he should listen to this advice even a little and not do the suicide run. Yeah. And she even goes so far as to make an emotional appeal. Yeah, she doesn't want him to die, bro. Says she doesn't want him to die. But he's got his mind made up to do the dumbest, worst thing. So he <laughs> turns Porthos over to Flocks, gives a little farewell speech, and flies on down in that shuttle. Yeah. But here's the thing. Meanwhile, the reptilians have discovered the blown-up station. Yeah. And they've moved the weapon. It's not there, and they capture Archer. Yep. Uh, Trip goes to speak to a real bummed-out teepole who's been hiding in the ready room. Uh, because it's been a couple of hours and they know something's gone wrong with the mission because they would have detected the explosion. Yeah, it only took them 25 minutes to reach the weapon and they didn't even know where they were looking. And he tells her that she's the captain now and she's got to go out there and face Picard in battle. That's right. <laughs> for the crew's sake. Yep. Also, it's also it's Captain Phillips because she is the captain now. Uh, so the, 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 I didn't see Cap. I didn't um, see Captain Phillips. I am the captain now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. You uh, made the Star Trek reference that left I did. that yeah. left me with that one. <laughs> uh, Archer's being uh, beaten up by these uh, racist reptilians who talk a lot of shit about primates well, in general. That's all right, because he can hang. And humans in particular. He's like, he's oh, yeah, just, well, let me tell you what I know about dinosaurs. They dumb. About, he tells them about how dinosaurs had a walnut brain and how he loves to eat turtle soup. <laughs> that's right. So they trade racisms for a little bit. Yep. And then at some point, uh, the main, have we ever said this, that the main reptilian's name is Dolem? Um, I only know that because of the Star Trek online uh, t- okay. timelines. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's this guy. Yep. Uh, Archer tells him uh, at some point, Dolem threatens to blow up Enterprise because he knows where they are. And uh, Archer says, all right, I'll talk, but I'll only talk to Degra. And everyone's like, how the fuck do you know who Degra is? Yeah. Including Degra, who is real mystified by this shit. Yeah, apparently they really did not leave him with any of his memory intact, thanks to Flox and his medical genius. 
And by the way, Archer tells him it doesn't matter how I know this stuff, and then later tells him I've seen the future. So I'm guessing at no point in this episode did Archer tell him, oh, we had you uh, on our ship all drugged up and memory erased. Yeah, I interrogated and I convinced you, you in the weirdest way for like a <laughs> week. I convinced you that we were buddies and you told me all about your kids and shit, but eventually you got suspicious. So we had to do that thing where we put you in the busted up ship. <laughs> yep. You might have died, but you didn't. I'm guessing he doesn't tell him any of that. No. <clears throat> Maybe next week. But he does He does give him this medal and uh, and tells him, gives him an abbreviated version of what Daniel's told him. And Degra has already had doubts yeah, about his of the, weapon of mass destruction. Because of the children. Because of the children and other stuff. And he quantum dates this medal and it's enough for him to call the non-reptilian members of his council, which is just one more uh, primate and one arboreal. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if those guys have names. I don't know uh, them. I know the one guy is in Babylon 5. And he basically does that meme where he says, are we the baddies? Yep. And so they're trying to work this out. What can they do? Can they contact... They can't contact the council because of the reptilians, and they don't. No one talks about the insectoids, but I guess everyone figures they're on their side. Yeah, but maybe they can get in touch with the aquatics in a back channel. Anyway, it doesn't matter because Dolan busts in and he's like, "All right, you guys have talked enough." He, he has a, four ships attack the Enterprise. Archer demands to speak to the council. Enterprise gets gets real badly beaten up. Yeah. It's going very, very bad for Enterprise. Some dudes get blown out yeah. into space. So anytime you get CGI dudes floating in space, that's uh, not so good. Enterprise is on the brink of destruction. Credits. Oh, no. It's a to be continued. Wow. Wow. Except I don't remember seeing the words to be continued, but it is. Is um is next week called Azadi Prime Part 2? Mm, it's called Damage. Oh, so maybe they don't consider it a proper to be continued. Damage. Uh, I assume you want to know what this one's about. I do. I do want to know what this one is about. Well, I was really hoping Ben would have something, but he just put an X there because he only partially watched it by the time he had to turn in his notes. And you asked me about this offline, and I didn't have anything helpful. Um, I really hate having two no-takes in one week. I just don't know what to say about this episode. It seemed like it was entirely plot. I don't know. I couldn't cook one, so I have it as a zero no-take. I did cook one. Okay. Uh, it takes strength to deviate from a long-held plan and do the right thing instead. The trouble with this take is that Degra is the one who maybe has that strength. <laughs> this episode's not about Archer. Degra. Archer maybe does not. Right. Um. That's that's fine, but it's a definitely a cook 'em up, and I just gave it three points. Okay. Um. What about execution? On the take end in general. Uh, it's real action heavy. Yeah, it is. It moves real fast. Yep. T-Pole's emotional stuff is not fully earned. No, it's kind of out of the fucking blue. It is, it's a little bit like if this episode had come right after the one where we saw that in the future she was his caregiver and shit. And mm-hmm. in the middle we hadn't had... Sim blows up Trip's whole spot, and then they do fuck. <laughs> they do fuck, and then she's like, yeah, but that wasn't nothing. Uh, it might have fit better, right, if it had come before that. But it, it does, it's kind of like, wait, 
now she's got a whole bunch of unresolved feelings about Archer. Yeah, now she's back on the Archer train. Right. I uh, don't want you to die. What? A lot of the big action pieces are poorly done. And the, the, this whole thing, every time they're fighting in the dark ship, it looks like a made-for-TV movie. <laughs> yep. So I think that there were some direction problems in this one. Yeah. Uh, Do you mean Star Command? Like a pilot? Like mm-hmm. a made Star for, Command. Made-for-TV pilot. Um, something like that. The uh, All of the racism... Yeah. that is inherent with the way the Zindi are and operate is unexplored and unquestioned. Yep. Daniel shows up in this episode with information that would have been very, very useful months ago God, or yeah. even before the Zindi deployed their weapon. Also, he's a time traveler. Why did he pick this moment? This yep. is also true for the sphere builders. If they can see alternate yep. timelines, why are we watching one where their plans are going to ultimately fail? How does any of this work? Yeah, it's, it's all very distracting. It's almost as if Star Trek is very bad at time travel things and shouldn't ever attempt them. They should definitely have stayed away from this one because it's like, why is this? It just makes me so mad. Why is this the moment that Daniels appears to yeah. say, anyway, here's what's going on with the Zindi. And the sphere builders, they got time travel of some kind, apparently. But like their whole plan is to make the Zindi do this instead of like I, I know three weeks ago you had Degra and you could have talked to him about this but I didn't I chose not to tell you any of this then yeah <laughs> it's just now that you've decided to do a suicide mission although I'm from the future so I should have known that and been able to go back to any it's just it's yeah. extremely poor yeah uh, so I gave it a whole three for execution I agree it's a three um, let's start with the obvious. Archer is not going to die. No. So all the stuff where he's being interrogated and captured isn't much. Enterprise isn't going to get blown up. So the to-be-continued aspect of it's not much. Um, for one thing, it's a time travel-related episode, and that's one obvious band-aid to anything that could go wrong. Oh, yeah. Anytime you have introduced and talked about it a lot in an episode... You can expect that it'll probably play a part in the resolution as well. Even if it doesn't, I would just immediately be like, okay, every, well, it, everything it will be fine. lowers the stakes, yeah. right? Uh, as you said, what is Teepole? I don't understand what's happening with her. Um, this whole Zindi plot, adjacent to the Temporal Cold War plot, is just such a mess. Like, I doubt in real time there were very many viewers who had been watching this week to week who understood what was happening in the show. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have been really difficult. I know that because I don't understand it now, despite all of this critical rewatching where I'm sitting here taking notes and trying to figure out what's happening. I still don't really understand what is going on, who are the bad guys, who are the good guys, what the stakes are, and what's happening. But maybe the very dark vibes of this episode weren't the worst thing in the world. That's really the only thing this entire season has done well, is that it's like, well, it's a real scary dark mission in the aughts. Yeah, and honestly, uh, this episode in particular was better than some. Mm-hmm. I, I, th- that's the reason I gave it three points, despite yeah, the fact me too. that the whole thing is aggravating nonsense. Yeah, I gave it a three based on the fact that it generally wasn't the worst thing in the world to watch, but it, uh, none of it make any sense at all. Uh, world building, I gave it another three. Satellite detection grid. They still have that insectoid gunship, so that's some continuity. Hoshi's translation matrix, this fucking Zindi water world that they're flying around in. It was like, um, like when they visit the Gungans, Naboo, 
They're underwater, right? Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the Enterprise J of the future. I don't know what to do with the future stuff in terms of scoring, by the way. <laughs> the, the Enterprise J, the Battle of Procyon 5, and the big fight between the Federation and the Sphere Builders. We finally well, learn. In a future that we know will not be allowed to come to pass, by the way, right? Like, Yeah, right, exactly. This is what we're preventing? We finally learn, all, after all season, that it is the Sphere Builders who told the Zindi to kill all humanity. The Zindi keep referencing a she. Yes. She told them. We to have do not it. seen this person. Yeah. Uh, there's Zindi on this future enterprise again. I don't know what to make of that. Um, oh, wow. They actually brought up when they farmed those organs. Yeah. <laughs> I figured everyone in the show, including the writers and everybody, would pretend that didn't happen. They did, but don't worry because Archer also makes a joke about flocks not harvesting anything from. Yep, Porthos. It's funny. So, in the one hand, this is part of his mode. I'm not going to order anyone to kill ever again. I'm not going to order anyone to die. But again. wasn't it funny when we did? Yeah, but <laughs> you remember when we did that thing? That, that was, was wild. That was why you and me did that. We're real cowboys out here, huh? Ah, uh, more fun with quantum dating. Not sure what to make of the possible future stuff, so I kept it at a three. Uh, by the way, we missed execution for Ben. I just want to point out. Oh that yeah, he, he didn't have he a score. It, he thinks it doesn't make sense that Archer's torn up about bombing that observation post. Like, he's tortured dudes, he's fighting a war, he killed three dudes in what's probably a military outpost. Like, yeah. why was anyone upset about that at all? I have stuff to talk about that in uh, characterization anyway, so. It does feel like a characterization note. For world building, he says that uh, you'd think hiding something huge in water would be an old trick that spacefaring races would be hip to. Mm. Which I guess is, I guess is true. Yeah, I it's I did I, I thought I had missed some scenes because suddenly they were underwater and I was like, wait, what's happening? Where are they going? <laughs> yeah. Is this Sequest? What's what is going on? Uh well we do we do have Dolphin Boy. We got Dolphin Boy for sure. We got uh, Darwin. What's his name? Darwin? Yeah. Darwin the Dolphin. I gave it as many as four for world building. Okay. Um we have Enterprise uh, identifying individual ships by matching their warp signatures. Mm-hmm. All of the Battle of Procyon 5 stuff. Oh, is it, Pro- is it Procyon in the STO? Procyon, Pro- Procyon. Is this STO stuff? Oh, Procyon 5? Yeah, you. Okay. I definitely have fought this battle. Okay. Uh, with Daniels. Daniels is a leads you through a whole episode arc. Yeah, I remember some of that. I think I played that one. It's broken up. Like, you play a couple, and then you do other missions, and then he comes back. I remember right, we uh, did a whole Toxutot thing. Yeah, there's a whole Toxutot run, too. Uh, we learn more uh, council politics and also racial views within the Zindi. Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is the first time where it's clear that the reptilians don't think much of the warm-blooded races. Yes. And that they don't trust the reptilians. Right. So, I give it as many as four for the Zindi interplay stuff, really. Okay. And also the warp signature thing I thought was interesting. What about characterization? I have no idea where Archer is this week. Mm-hmm. He's upset because he ordered that station bombed, so he's going to go bomb another installation. Yep. And he's going to do it personally because he won't order anyone else to die. I didn't think Teeple becoming unhinged makes sense at all. And also, Trip is so ineffective at reaching her when she's in that mood. Yeah, he seems kind of annoyed, and that's all that comes across. 
Yeah, so like whatever intimacy they've built up, he he apparently does not have access to in this moment when he needs to get through to her. Yeah. Uh, of course, everyone volunteers for the suicide mission. <laughs> it's a, co- a competition. Who can be the most suicidal? As soon as Archer's gone, the not gay twins are back trying to bully T-Pole into a dumb rash action. It's just like everyone's gone back to season one. Yeah. Uh, I only gave it two points for characterization. I didn't think anybody was good this week. Yeah. Just to add to that, there's Degra. He's like, it's not great to drink to the death of an entire species, but I do want to drink. <laughs> but I am going to drink. <laughs> I guess he's still struggling with this whole genocide thing. That means he's willing to listen to Archer and uh, takes his message back to the council, or at least the version of the council he convenes. Yeah, they've set the those three races up there where Degra thinks maybe this is a maybe they're going too far, and I guess we're probably supposed to assume that the other primate Zindi thinks that too. Hmm. And Dolem wants them all dead right now. Yeah. And that arboreal guy's in the middle, like, I don't know, man, better them than us. Mm-hmm. Like, he's he's not he's not on either side, so they've, they've shown us three different takes, but of course they've put them in three different races. I was going to say, yeah, they're stratified within races. Um, T-Pole is still riding Hoshi's ass. Yeah, it's, again, it's a regression to much earlier. Yep. Um, she also suddenly believes in time travel. Despite all the evidence before not doing anything. Yeah, I mean, she does say our little trip to Detroit Mm -hmm. changed my mind on that. You remember when I was bad cop. Which it should have. Yes, since you were in the past. Also, I mean, it should have. Yeah. Um, And she really doesn't want Archer to die. She's uh, supposed to have more emotional control than anybody on board, but she's the only one who can't handle this. Yeah. Um... Then she will also, she says she'll also do a suicide mission of some kind. Because, yep. as always, everyone is falling all over themselves to be the most heroic. Uh, Archer cold ices three Zindi at a monitoring Lucky station. Lucky Flocks didn't fucking show up and start knocking everyone out with a hypo spray, huh? So that he could be the hero? Right. Yep. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Archer cold ices three Zindi at a, mon- uh, at a monitoring station rather than maybe, like, Sending down a team to detain them or fuck up their operation or something. Just just break their antenna. Like, he had four hours to come up with something. They specifically say that that thing They can't... do say he has four hours. He's like, well, kill him now. Well, you better shoot a torpedo right this instant. I, I think the torpedo and the explosion and everything would attract some attention, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, ah, they were on the other side of that moon. I know, but, like, it seems like you'd be drawing attention. Like, let's let's blow stuff up over here. Maybe someone will pick this up um yeah if they had just beamed the dudes out yeah and then when the guys tried to make contact they couldn't and they went there and the station was empty yeah it'd be a mystery would have been a weird minute for him right instead of instead of the torpedo it's uh crazy that he didn't take any of the four hours well he didn't stop to think about anything yeah yep then he does the uber heroic thing and volunteers for a suicide mission to blow up the weapon despite the fact that it would mean losing the senior officer on the mission i guess he didn't take the bridge officer's exam should have sent Jordy. He should have sent Jordy. Uh, Mayweather tried to point that out several times. Like, mm-hmm. I already know how to fly the ship. It should really be me. Yep. Um, you guys haven't figured out anything to do with me in three seasons. <laughs> can so. I just have this? Can I have this one thing? <laughs> can I go out cool, maybe? Jesus. <laughs> Finally, Archer won't break during a violent interrogation. Damn it. Because Bacula, Bacula wouldn't let him, probably. Um, 
Trip tries to give Teeple some advice, but like, why would she listen to him? He sucks just like his good buddy sucks. So, <laughs> like, whoa. don't listen to anything that guy has to say. Yeah, it's a three for me. Do you uh, do you have any quick hitters written down? Um, there's never very many for this show. Let's see. Um, like I said, I I honestly forgot the digger was back at it making his weapon, or how he got away, or what happened when that plot resolved. It's been so long since anything meaningful happened with this plot that I totally lost the thread. Yeah, I mean... Stratagem was week 65. It's really only been four weeks. I, I literally couldn't remember. Yeah. Um, we had we had Harbinger, and then we had Doctor's Orders, and then we had Hatchery. Doctor's Orders. Was there ever a bigger waste of time than Doctor's Orders? Uh, it was a real big waste, um, for sure. It's true that they haven't even considered that they could just build another weapon once this one's destroyed. Yeah. Like, they're keeping records, you know? They'll probably even build a better one. <laughs> yep. It'll be a better weapon. Better well, they protected. They definitely will secure a hatch so that you can't just fly a torpedo <laughs> in there next time. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like, um, this isn't really a very good plan when you stop to think about it. They're the, this whole season, they're like, we have to go destroy that weapon. And it's like, yeah, then what? Yeah, You'll be dead and they'll be delayed three months. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, it's, uh, maybe you should start to open a dialogue or something. Um, that was it for me. I, I should say that uh, Ben, in characterization, said Mayweather finally has something to do, but they, that, that goes away pretty quick. Um, of course, Archer overrides everyone to pilot the shuttle himself. It doesn't feel earned. You're right. Well, that's true. Yeah, I just have a couple of quick hitters. Okay. Again, Degra got there first because they spent two weeks fucking around on side quests. Turns out it was actually three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, fucking Daniels withholding all of this very, very important information until the last possible minute. A real asshole. Yeah, he's the worst, and his outfit still sucks. When is he going to get a better outfit? He should ask the it's- doctor to design one for him. It's like what you imagine Cardassians wear under their armor. <laughs> to really bulk themselves up. Yeah. They like to make themselves bigger. There's a stuntman who's on fire in one of those action scenes I complained about. Oh, yeah. And How unnecessary. He's, and he's just fucking... His whole hair is slathered in fireproof jelly. <laughs> it's just like... This stunt coordinator was not used to shooting HD, for sure. Because... Yeah. I was like, what the hell's wrong with that guy's hair? Did the fire do? Oh, no. He's just he's just got an inch of fireproof jelly on his whole head. God, these guys are such hacks. Can you imagine? They're like, yeah, and the ship's just getting blown up. Just pew, 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 just all over the place. And the guy's even on fire. Right. It's like, okay, cool. Uh, best actor this week, I gave it to Degra. Okay. And worst actor to uh, Hoshi arguing with T-Pole again. Yeah, Teepal wasn't much better in that scene, but Hoshi really was not great there. It's exactly season one. She's got to have a fucking love line or she's not doing good acting work on this show. <laughs> the best Hoshi ever was sex Hoshi. It's it's, uh, it's pretty standard. Time she went so, down to like that he, planet and fucked that alien. Almost like it's the only thing that interests the writers in that character. Yep. Hey, next in the order. Okay. Uh, TNG. This week we watched The Most Toys. Before you start, mm. when was the last time you saw that bumper sticker? Which one? He who dies with the most toys wins? Oh, um, uh, for God, never? 
1986? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. I feel like it uh, already was a weird thing to write to call an episode by the time this was made. I was going to say, are you telling me that that episode, that romp we had with Barkley last week, didn't win the week? In my memory, it, mu- it must have won. <laughs> it's Barkley on the holodeck. Um, last week was super weird because we had three episodes come in at 32 points. We had the same winner and loser, and then the middle three were a mix. Yeah. Uh, Data is on an alien cargo ship overseeing the transfer of some shit they need for yet another weird medical problem out in the wastes of space. When a lady zaps him but good and kidnaps him and then the shuttle he's supposed to be on straight blows up. Credits. The Enterprise coordinates with the alien cargo captain, Kivas Fajo, and uh, they trade sensor data. Then the Enterprise goes on its emergency mission, uh, believing Data blew up in space and is a dead a dead Data. Of course, we already know Kivas Vajo has kidnapped him, and he soon confronts Data and is overwhelmed by the excitement of this new piece of his collection. He's a, he's a collector of one-of-a-kind, ultra-rare items in space or whatever, though several of them are from Earth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like a really disproportionate number of the items. Well, he's read our history books. That's right. Even our own George Washington would agree with his behavior, I'm sure. Um, Do you think it's like uh, Federation aid is contingent on teaching Earth history in your schools? Oh, probably. You can't get the right textbooks. Like They're like, look, everybody in sixth grade has to do Earth history because <laughs> they're sending us a lot of replicators. That's right. They put in a new hydropower plant, and so everybody's got to learn about George Washington. For some reason, this is what they're into. This is what they ask for every time. Uh, anyway, Data's going to be the centerpiece of this dude's collection, because I guess he's, I don't know, the tallest item. <laughs> There's nothing really that good about Data. Um, <laughs> he's the only sentient android, Oh, because Kivas Fajo has never seen TOS. That's right, exactly. Yeah, what about Ruck? Get him. Um, Norman from iMud. Sure, yeah, there's a whole planet full of them, assuming Mud didn't kill all of them or something. Yeah. Data tries to escape and tries to compel Fajo with force, but he's got a scary force field around himself, so that doesn't really go anywhere. Um, Jordy and Wesley are rifling through Data's shit and being all mopey, but Jordy doesn't seem quite convinced that he knows the whole story about what happened to Data yet. Meanwhile, the lady working for uh, Kivas Fajo tells Data he's supposed to wear an ugly purple jumpsuit, kind of like hers. It's two, don't worry, it's two different shades of purple, but it is sewn into one jumpsuit. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we could afford two colors, but not two pieces. Uh, the shirt's sewn into the pants. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, she explains that she's as trapped as he is. Uh, Fajo is shameless and cruel in all kinds of ways. Um,. Jordy goes to Picard and Riker and says, there's no fucking way Data accidentally blew up, right? The records don't show what happened on the shuttle because nothing happened. Picard basically... All we've got left is pilot error, and uh, this week I believe Data is infallible. That's right. Picard basically tells him to drop it, but then Jordy goes to sleep in his uniform and has a nightmare. (laughs) And uh, as you said, wakes up to keep searching. He, uh, Do you want to talk about his uh, visor? Uh, he picks up his visor, and then 
LeVar Burton looks at it and realizes he's got it upside down and it won't go on his head if he puts it on that way. So Jordy LaForge turns it over and sticks it on. <laughs> the but he doesn't like do a bunch of hand motions that indicates that he's figured out that it's upside down. So it really just looks like Jordy sees that it's upside down. <laughs> Jordy it looks over. at it for a while and goes, now, oh, that's not the right way. I noticed that, but I didn't notice that he'd gone to sleep in his uniform. So yep. we each get one on that They one. didn't even give him any cool satin space pajamas. He was just straight in his uniform. And most people, I think, probably just went, he got it from a dream yeah that's right that's supposed to be the real dumb part of that that's the worst part of the scene for sure is that he has a dream where he hears data he just hears the opening scene again yes and he wakes up and and then says out loud to nobody i did miss something (laughs) it's such a bad scene it's so it's a real it's a real lousy scene it's It's just it is a scene that is trying to get from a to b real quick but it's got a lot of fun touches huh i was gonna say it was a badly written scene but i don't think it was written i think they just did it on the spot they're like oh we need to get to this on the day the director was like wait how does he figure this out how did jordy figure this out uh we'll just have him like Oh, he has like a, he's so sad about Data, he's got a dream. It comes to him in the dream. Are, are any of the bedroom sets still built? Oh, Data's bedroom. Is there a bed in there? Just oh, have thank him lay God, on the bed. Just go there. lay on the bed. Not a big deal. And then get up and put a... Uh, just lay down. And then he's like, I'm wearing my visor still. Shouldn't he take off his visor if he sleeps? Yeah, Listen, take you off do whatever you think Jordy would do. <laughs> That's right. We got to get going, though. Are we going to shoot the dream sequence? Nah, ain't, we ain't got time for that. Just, just wake up and go... Uh, Oh, I did miss something. I did miss something, after all. I missed something. <laughs> oh, I knew I missed something. Oh, boy. Eight. Hey, I missed something. And then we'll just go from there. Okay, let's go. That seems like a real clunker, huh? Yeah, it's a piece of shit. Um, anyway. This uh, is my pick of the week, by the way. But that seems like a real <laughs> clunker. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kiva's Fajo chats it up with Data some more, who still won't wear the jumpsuit. So Fajo throws some acid on his clothes and burns him up. Um... And then he's like, but y- y- I know about androids. <laughs> like everyone in uh, but space. But luckily he orders Plick Plack 12 Deplops. And so Data <laughs> doesn't know it's acid and we think he's going to drink it. That's for nobody. But he knows about androids just like everyone knows about androids. And he knows androids have modesty. And yeah. so he knows for sure that'll get him to put it on. Because he's an android and androids can't be naked. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway... Um. Worf is going uh, to assume Data's position at Ops, and Troy is tagging along to get him to talk about his feelings. Worf says replacing a crew member is just how it goes on a Klingon ship. Okay, buddy. That's pretty disingenuous <laughs> as a comment. Like, this ain't a Klingon ship. You know what we're talking about here. Okay, but at the end, I think at the end he realizes that this that he's been doing this for no goddamn reason, and he does thank her for her concern, and she gets a little smile on her face. Like, the scene ends well. Yeah. But he does, you're right, he does just try to bluff it out. Pretty disingenuous when he says that. Um, anyway, Jordy and Wesley go over the communication logs and find them inconsistent, right? That Data always does everything the exact same way, but on his last trip, he doesn't he doesn't confirm that the shuttle got cleared the bay or whatever. Right. So that's clearly a forgery or something, because Data would never do anything inconsistent, like use a contraction or anything. Yeah, I mean, Jordy's argument here is, look, there's no reason to do that same, the exact same way every time. And so, you know, most of us wouldn't. Right. But Data would. Why wouldn't he? Yep. He doesn't get bored by doing the protocol. So he's pretty sure that um, shit is fishy. It's not going to matter because they're going to figure this all out another way. Anyway, um, <laughs> Fajo, is true. Fajo has a collector friend over to show Data off, but Data does a full stone Nyung and pretends to be a weird mannequin. 
Yeah, Data stiff arms him real good. And this embarrasses Fajo, who promises Data. Data's definitely going to regret it. If this guy had been played by someone in the 60s, he would have stomped on the ground and rented his clothes and everything. That's true. Back on Enterprise, Worf is at Ops, and Picard does a whoopsie and calls him Data. Picard's been... (laughs) Yeah, by the way, two weeks in a row for Picard and names. I was going to say, someone check on Picard? I'm kind of worried about it. get his memory checked. Go down and talk to Beverly about this, (laughs) because this is just after Hollow Pursuits. Um... Anyway, something's happening in that dumb medical emergency plot, but it really doesn't matter. Basically, they find that this whole medical emergency was just a way to get Enterprise to need hydratium. Yep. Um, which is what they were getting from Kivas Vajo in the beginning. So obviously he set it up. They look into his file and like the first thing they learn is that he's a collector of rare items. And they go, ah, all right, let's go find data. Okay, he's got data. He's got definitely it. got data. Um now Fajo wants Data to sit in a chair. He's wearing that jumpsuit now. It totally worked. He's got the modesty. He wears the jumpsuit. Um, yeah, he's working like a wearing him down plan. Yeah, at first I got you He in the wants jumpsuit. him to do something that's not important just to demonstrate that he's got the power. He tells him he's got to sit in the chair. He says, you must comply. <laughs> anyway, Data won't do it. So Fajo pulls out a very special weapon and threatens yep. to kill that lady from before. It's Chekhov's Verantee Disruptor, right? Yes. Like, there's no way we get through the whole episode without him firing this thing. Yeah, he's been showing it off as one of his great, cool items. Um, anyway, um, so he's gonna kill her, and that forces Data into his chair. Well, I guess the lady felt bad about everything and maybe sees that Data can help her. She comes back later to help him escape. And she takes that Disruptor, and they head for the escape pod in the cargo bay. So I guess the plan is just to fucking just to get out in an escape pod and hope that his little cargo ship is too shitty to blow him up <laughs> like it's not really much of a plan it's a bad plan <laughs> they're gonna go out into space and sit there i guess anyway uh, she's read the script she knows enterprise is about to warp <laughs> back in she starts the launch sequence and all the alarms go off and two cronies attack the lady and data comes out to fight him and he throws him around and stuff he pulls a real seven when seven through that through harry came into the security guard yeah uh, but then Fajo arrives, um, and he zaps the lady to death with his very bad disruptor. Um, he doesn't like it. I mean, it is gross. He throws the gun away like, oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what this is? <laughs> that was nasty. <laughs> he, yeah, he drops his gun, and Data is enraged, as a robot is. <laughs> and he picks up the disruptor and points it at Fajo. Uh, Fajo refuses to give up, and just as the Enterprise arrives and beams Data back, he definitely fires the Disruptor. Then he gets back to Enterprise and lies to Riker, and he, um, when Riker points out the weapon was fired, and he goes, huh, yeah, I don't know, weird. Maybe the transporter beam did a malfunction. I don't know anything about it, so why are you asking me about it twice? I already told you I don't know what happened with the Disruptor. Finally, he goes to visit Fajo in the brig. They chat a bit. Data says he has no feelings. Great. That's it. Yeah. What was this one about? Um, well, let's say that Ben says that the take is sentient life is inherently valuable, and he says it's very Trek and a very cold take. I think the take is the opposite of that. Uh-oh. I believe that the take of this episode is some people don't deserve to live. <laughs> That's certainly what Data decides with his thoughts. Uh, it's... Data thinks it over with his billions of calculations per second. At the the moment when Data fires on Kivas Vajo, 
he has lots of other options. Oh, yeah. I don't have a computer brain, but I had no trouble thinking of about 15 other <laughs> ways he could have handled that situation. Uh-huh. Yeah, how, again, how many calculations do you think he can do a second? Because Data could do billions or trillions or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's fa- he reads faster than me and everything. That's right. He, but uh, at this moment, all he could think was, this guy's got to die. He says it out loud. He says, this must not be... I cannot permit this to continue or yeah. whatever. Like, oh, shit. It's uh, it's not a Star Trek take. And Data clearly isn't pleased to discover that he feels this way because he does immediately lie. Um, <laughs> and then he lies to Fajo, too. He's like, oh, I don't get emotions. I don't know what you're talking about. But it is a take. And I, I kind of wanted Fajo to die, too. <laughs> I don't fully disagree. I gave it four points. All right, that's fair. Uh, I also gave it four with the take extreme circumstances push us all to places we think we're incapable of, I guess. Yeah. So it's obviously Data's plot. I tried to think of what the Geordi plot could be saying since he was the second character in this episode, but all I could come up with is he just knows Data so fucking well, dude. Just knows yeah, it's, it. I mean, it's just like if something doesn't smell right, keep digging. That's basically Geordi's plot, right? Right. And then he's v- extremely lucky... That he has that dream. Kivas Faja was very bad at this. Oh, yeah. For someone who has apparently stolen half of the Louvre. That's right. Uh, anyway, Data spends some time in this episode telling Faja that he can't intentionally harm people. Like, for sure. I don't know how to do that. I can't do a murder or whatever. Certainly can't do a cold murder. But then he has a rage freak out about that lady he barely knows eating it and says out loud that he can't permit this to continue and goes for the murder button as fast as he can. So, yeah. um, I'm sure we've had versions of this take pop up previously about being pushed beyond your limits or whatever. Um, the alternate take here, the more cynical take is nonviolent resistance can only take you so far. Yeah. Yeah. Cause see, at first he's just like, I won't sit in the chair. I won't wear the jumpsuit. I'll just keep resisting. But then eventually he does push the murder button. <laughs> um, execution. Ben has it as a five. He says Data is stunned and the Enterprise is supposed to think he's dead, but clearly the viewer knows better. Yeah, they don't spend any time trying to fool the viewer. They do not. They make it very... They do not want us to feel that tension at all. I guess they wanted an episode full of Data resisting, so they had to, like, just jump into that plot, but it does mean they have to do an equal amount of Geordi on the other end, which is tough. It is true. Uh, Data is obstinate, but it makes sense. Uh, The acting portraying the relationships on the other ship were great that's where tng shines right characters dead everyone has a different reaction Uh, yeah they're the only show that gets this one right yeah so he's right on that i think that's probably why he gave it as much as a five and i agreed i also gave it a five any plot about data's android limits is gonna suck and be confusing every time he says he's incapable of something you can be certain he'll immediately do that thing (laughs) Mm-hmm. If next week he says he's incapable of playing the violin as good as fucking Sarmok of Deneb 7 or whatever, you can be sure his performance will move somebody to tears. Yeah, Picard so- will explain to him why. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Sorry. Someone. I'm I don't sorry know about that. I was going <laughs> to jump in and talk about the other time that Data was shy about the violin. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sorry I stepped all over your reference to the actual episode next week. Is it even Theory Corner anymore that those officers woke him up and told him all that bullshit and he just believes it? I think it's confirmed fact. He can it's do theory, all of the things. It's Theory Corner, but it's the only possible theory. It's is insane. The trouble. 
It's uh, Sherlock Holmes's theory corner. <laughs> Again, I always enjoy seeing the crew having to deal with some shit when it's TNG. They seem more like real people, and more than that, they try to give you like diverse reactions. Yep. To in this case, Data's supposed passing. Do I wish season one Worf was still around to give us something more moving than this happens all the time on a Klingon ship? Yes. Of course. But even his part's decent. Yeah. Um, and I'll talk about all the various pieces of this in characterization. But um, finally, I saw this dude on Frasier and never thought much of him. But I think the satin pirate of the cosmos here, Kivas Fajo, knocked it out of the park performance-wise. Uh, Kivas Fajo was amazing. Really, really good. The whole time I was like, ah, I want this guy to show. I want him to be the Harry Mudd of this show. I want him to come back later. For sure, if... If this was his second appearance and I felt I could have awarded him points, yeah. this would have been a 10 for characterization, <laughs> for sure. He's great. Uh, the crew figured out this scheme pretty quickly, but I guess they only got 42 minutes to wrap this shit up, so... Yeah. Yeah, just a five for me. Uh, I went even one further, I gave it a six. Okay. And uh, it's like you said, none of the other series could have pulled this one off. No. Um. The scenes on Enterprise are basically all good in terms of like emotional content. And it really helps you get over the fact that they didn't do a real good job plotting the mystery out. Yeah. Like you really kind of get past that bad Geordie scene and all the other stuff. The scenes on the Jovis are a little weaker. Yep. Uh, particularly Varya's quick turn. Yeah. Basically like Data's like, you can't kill her. I'll sit in the chair. And then she's like, this is my guy. Well, and also like a minute before she was like, Oh, I'm going to touch my jaw where he probably backhanded me or something. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think it's a little, they made a real weird choice that we never see Data reunited with the cast. Yeah, he's back he with just, Fajo again. He just lies to Riker and then goes to taunt Kivas Fajo. Yeah. Uh, also, the hand puppet is terrible, and it's <laughs> not explained at all why this guy has so much Earth art. Right? Every fucking other one. He's like, look, a Roger Maris card. Mm. It's still got bubble gum or whatever. And then he's... Look, I own the Starry Night <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And you're like, Jesus. Like, what's is, going on? Salva- I've got a Salvador Dali right here. Is this and- his Earth wing? I'm confused. And even the shit that he doesn't point to is just like, oh, that's from Burma. You know what I mean? Yeah, here's like an African mask or something. You're like, right? we get it, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I give it a six. I think um, this episode is surprisingly strong. Yeah. Oh yes, and for sure. This is you think of this as kind of a, a jokester episode. I'm like this is the one where the guy's got a ribbon in his nostril. <laughs> I remember him. He's on an interrupt or something. <laughs> this is the one where they introduce the Verinti disruptor and say there's only five in the whole universe. But don't worry, you're going to keep seeing it as a prop in every Star Trek series from here on out. <laughs> That's right. Um, but it, it actually was a surprisingly strong episode. Uh, I cannot really say the same for the world building. Yeah, it's almost a bottle episode in a way. So ben, it's ben gave it a three, Hytridium, Beta Agni 2, Agonizing Phasers, Transporters Can Diffuse Slash Disarm Phasers. That transporter thing is interesting, but completely unexplained. Yeah, I'm not even sure. We might have already seen Although, it. Although, I think it's the trans- we've seen that transporters can deactivate phasers in a way that renders them not useful. Yeah. But what did it do to the weapon <laughs> that was actually firing? Yeah. Yeah, where did that energy go? Yeah. Uh, we do learn uh, some of Data's component parts. Okay. 
or at least what materials he's made of. Oh, yeah, and I didn't even write them down. They were coming so fast. I'm like, I'm not going back. There's a bunch of them, and it starts with, like, uh, a bunch of plastoid compounds, like, Mm -hmm. for the skin, and you're like, all right, whatever. And they, by the way, she only lists about 20% of his materials, and she never says duranium, so. (laughs) Right. And we know we'll that, learn his, about that. Made of, his spinal column is made of duranium and cordonite. That's right. When he has that great contest with uh, our good boy, New Deck City. <laughs> um, apparently, a lot of Earth artwork has gone missing. <laughs> no one's, will Data help them figure this shit out? This is another episode with plot-required hard-to-replicate components. Yeah. And also, I guess we learned that Data is sort of famous. He's famous enough that Kivas Fajo wants him, but Kivas Fajo obviously cares about Earth shit. Yeah. But not so famous that Paylor Toff knows who the fuck he is or why he's supposed to be impressed. Yeah, he thinks he's just a silly mannequin. Yeah. Um, I only gave it a two for world building. Um, I said Beta Agnew too, like Spiro Agnew, I guess. <laughs> right. But then yeah. later they said it again and it was Agni. Um, Zabalian Traders, Hytridium, what Data is made out of. Um, Data's normally pretty zap-resistant, but not this week. They zapped him pretty good. I guess if she... They have this plan pretty figured out. Mm Mm-hmm. So. They just... I don't know if they... If they had seen all the times that he had sparks shooting through him and he was just kind of okay. I mean, counterpoint, Goshevin just had a regular cattle prod. (laughs) That's and it did a pretty good job. But remember when he was, um, when when Jordy went flying and he went, or when he was, uh, yeah. when he was saving he a Q, better there. saving Q from the Calamarine or whatever. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, the uh, Sigma Irani system, the kinds of folks that the Federation people got to deal with when they need Hytridium. Do you get the feeling later in the episode that they were not happy that they had to make this arrangement? No. They needed that hytridium and they couldn't get it and they had to deal with this fucking satin pirate. When you come back from the credits and everyone on the bridge is doing a real good job of showing how shocked they are. Yeah, shit is gone wrong and they don't know what to make of it yet. And Kivas Fajo calls up. Picard is, of course, irritated to have to talk to him at all. Yep. He's like, the only reason we're here is because you have the the shit we need and you are an unsavory character and I don't want to talk to you. And Kivas Fajo is an asshole in that call. Yeah, but in a way that I think does make him less suspicious. I think it's a, it, it is a good deflection. He's like, um, what the hell happened to your pilot? What the yeah. fuck happened there? And then he's like, I mean, I guess you can have my records. They're not as good as yours, but here you go. You're right. Um, a mention of the USS Grissom of Star Trek Three fame, I believe. Yeah, that's in Star Trek 3. Um, Fajo has several Earth items in his collection. Again, I guess he's boners for Earth. Uh, Jordy thinks Data was incapable of making a mistake or pilot error, but Data fucks up on the regular. Yeah. Um, Ops officer replacement process is a pick from a grab bag of Rikers boys, it seems like. <laughs> I, it, it, you will, I mean, again, we'll talk about it. I cannot believe Worf's the best choice. Picard we'll doesn't seem it. to care who's the ops officer. Yeah, Picard says that. He's my choice, too. But Picard was had that one chambered mm-hmm. pretty much no matter who. Oh, like yeah. He said. If he'd said Lavelle, he would have been like, yeah, absolutely. I know that guy a lot. I know him. If he, if he had said that kind of cocky older lieutenant that <laughs> Leslie was so worried about working with. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the science guy. You know him. The sci- you know. 
he's a little bit the volcanologist or whatever. But in the end, Wesley just needs to learn to assert himself, and then the guy will just do what he wants. That's my choice too. I also agree. Yes, I think he's you know he's the king of his own little weird domain down there, but he's still a competent officer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Data claims he's programmed not to murder again. Um, a Velton sex idol with pearls. Yeah, the pearls are a scam, though. They were added by the Ferengis. Mm-hmm. Uh, T disruptor. Making tricyanate is expensive, and they think Fajo wants to make money, so what's the economy? Um, O'Brien is able to deactivate the disruptor mid-transport. I gave it a three. Uh, characterization, then. Ben uh, gave a six. He says everyone's good. Data shows moral decision-making. I mean... He certainly shows that he gave it some thought. Yep. And he did fire. Yes. Uh, we should say, I, we, keep, we both keep saying he definitely hit the murder button. The episode says that the phaser was activated and, again, Data tells a lie. It's yeah, very clear da- it's a lie. Data's actor's secret is that he also believes Data intentionally fired. Yeah. That's uh, what Spiner says about it. Right. And also the writer. It was the network wanted to water it down. Yeah, so they're like, oh, I don't know. Anything could happen. Um... Let's see. People's responses to Data's supposed death are quite different. Riker's real shouty, and Picard is kind of frantic. Riker's angry. Picard is kind of irritated. Wesley's real mopey. Geordi blames himself. Worf is stoic about replacing him at Ops. Troy's worried about Worf. Like, everybody gives you something a little bit different to play with. And it all makes sense. I only wish Guinan had been in it. Should have been Guinan. And there's no room for her. They Also, they only they booked to, her like every three weeks. So They have to spend a lot of time making it credible that Data would want to kill Kivas Fajo. Right. Like, you have to have a lot of time to make Kivas Fajo an asshole in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Data, Data never stops trying to get out of this shit until that lady's in danger. Then he sits nicely in his chair, at least for five minutes. He claims not to be able to kill, but again... I think he pushed that button 50 times, actually. I think he's pressing it during transport the whole time. <laughs> he's just, like, fucking rapid fire. It would have been super great if he'd beamed in. Yeah, he's and still pressing that, it. Like, done that quick jerk move yeah. to suddenly start aiming at O'Brien. And then they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, hey, guys. Good thing you got me there. I was, I was in a tough spot. Uh, again, then he lies about that, too. Um, this week, Data knew the word hucksterism. Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks since he needed the thesaurus prompt. Um, anything having to do so much with data is like an automatic deduction almost. It's always so badly handled. <laughs> so I only gave it five, even though I did like all of the other emotional stuff going on. Uh, I did not give it an automatic deduction. Okay. So first of all, sucks I can't give points to Fajo because that guy <laughs> carries the whole show. That's right. Uh, I think this is sort of the best kind of data story. Okay. Even though he did a a cold murder. He did a cold murder. Okay. Uh, But he's mostly fine in this one. You know what sucks with data is when he's doing bits. Yeah. He doesn't do any bits in this one. Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, he does Lulu, 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 but... Uh, the scene with Worf and Troy seems very rote at the beginning, but then Worf softens at the end, and I think it ends up making the whole scene pretty successful. Picard and Riker play their parts admirably. The only scene that has regulars that doesn't really land for me was Riker and Crusher and Worf down in the cave. 
Yeah. And it's like, Worf's got to do all of Data's science dialogue and notice that something's wrong. And then Crusher jumps in yeah. for no reason. And and then Riker's just standing there. But that's a uh, one of these get to A to, from A to B plot scenes and not a character scene. So It's really one of the, the all-time A to B plot scenes because nothing that happens in that whole plot fucking matters at all. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in the end, I gave it seven points for characterization. Okay. Oh, boy, it's TNG, so the quick hitters must have been. Yeah, I got a page and a half, so Do everybody it. fucking take a deep breath. <laughs> Do your thing. I'll just take a drink over here. Yeah, uh, we start out with Data opening the door to that shuttle pod. They got to oil that thing. That is the most herky-jerky <laughs> opening mechanism I've ever <laughs> seen. You can't hear it go as it opens, but it sure looks like it. Yeah, it's a piece of shit. Uh... Because Data is about to die, this is the most attention that anyone on the bridge has ever paid to a cargo loading operation. Mm-hmm. They're going to watch him fly over from one ship to another on the main view oh, screen. and they need the whole senior staff, too. Jordy is up from engineering. He's yeah. back at the bridge engineering station, and he's giving call-outs. This isn't the B-team or whatever. As the, as the shuttle fucking flies over, right? I can only guess this is because they're going to immediately then warp to emergency medical destination or whatever yeah something like that they got to be ready to go as soon as possible although they go there at warp six <laughs> it's better than warp two it could have been two it could have been warp two for Could've sure go. they need this it's an emergency warp two uh fonjo just travels around the galaxy with all this stuff on his vulnerable little ship it's true he doesn't have anything cool like uh like a vorcha or something right uh this ship's top speed is warp three uh Wait, is he on the Drake? (laughs) It is the Drake. Holy shit. That's where it went. (laughs) Uh, Data really gets wharfed by this door. (laughs) He just goes up and assumes he can push it open and can't. Yep. Though uh, Fajo does admit that maybe if there were 10 of him, he could get that door open. Uh, Of course, fully 70% of this dude's collection is Earth shit. Uh Uh-huh. Why would the writers think of what this guy could collect when they could just name things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to come up with something that's a new idea. When they're uh, rooting around in Data's shit and they pull out the little acrylic pedestal mm-hmm. and fire up Tasha Yar, Wesley's got a look on his face that makes me think he knows. <laughs> I don't know how much Wesley has learned about while doing it in general, but then also whether Data was doing it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but he seems to. Well, he knows about giving a girl a bowl of pudding. <laughs> and taking her to the holodeck and showing her all the places she'll never be able to go. The um, the HD master really shows how disappointing Varya's makeup is. Oh yeah, she was the worst looking thing in the whole episode. Not only is there no indication what happened to her jaw, yep, but her nose and forehead appliances are asymmetrical and they look like clay. She looked nasty. Yeah. She looked fucking yeah. run down. What can well, you say about her that you haven't already said about Afghanistan? Bombed out and depleted. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, okay, so I know Worf learned, learned, learned while he was wearing red. Hmm. But there must be a more experienced candidate for ops that also doesn't rob you of your chief of security and tactical officer. Yeah, because you know it's just going to be that redhead sitting back there. Going bye bye. No way. We know he got fired. That guy got fired. He for sure (laughs) got fired. All right. Diedrich Bader will be back there. Wesley snuck that antimatter off of there. That was that guy's (laughs) last day at Tactical. It'll be Diedrich Bader back there 100%, and he's not good enough. 
Well, here's the thing, right? After that exercise was over, you know, Worf transferred back and he was like, so, uh, so you let Wesley take the antimatter, huh? That's, uh, we didn't think you were stupid enough to fall for that. We thought for sure he was going to get caught cheating, but no. You're, you're going to do great things on the hood, buddy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he was actually back in 10 minutes. It was kind of crazy. You're going to enjoy the Zhukov. I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah, I heard the Grissom's around. Uh, it's a great <laughs> ship. Really great. You know the Oberths. They're fucking tight. Yes, you're going to love it. They run for 100 years. Nothing ever goes wrong. That's right. Uh, of course, Picard opens up that Shakespeare volume to a relevant quote mm. about data. You don't see he's got them all labeled and indexed. These are data quotes. Yeah, uh, but he he gave when he gave the book to Data, he was like, "I've highlighted all of the things that relevant to, to you." you. <laughs> <laughs> Most of these seem insulting, but don't worry. It's uh, I mean it. It's a it's a good spirited kind of thing. I'll never be able to give up my life in Starfleet and accept my role in your weird museum, says Data, because I won't murder. <laughs> It's another writer trying to get from Act 2 to Act 5, right? Yeah, he's like, we got to put in something about how I can't do murder. Yeah, it doesn't actually, like, it. It if you're not paying attention, it half makes sense. And then you're like, wait a minute, why does he think Kivas Fajo wants him to do murder? Yeah. He just wants him to sit in that chair in the museum. But he's like, but the only way I can get out is by murdering you, but I can't do that. But also, I won't sit in the chair. And you're like, what? Kivas Fajo says he'd be delighted to see Data go around naked. But if he brought Paylor Toff in and Data was just cranking it onto that Salvador <laughs> Dali painting, would he have been pleased? I think not. No, probably. That would have been embarrassing. It's a bit gauche. Jordy gets his big clue from a dream. Jordy and his visor. Ferengi sure know a sucker when they see one, huh? Paylor Toff? Paylor Toff. Yeah, he's a straight sucker. <laughs> For sure. Well, you know, the Ferengi put that ribbon in his nose. Uh-huh. They told him it was cool. <laughs> they told him that's the cool shit. It's only going to cost. They sold him a nose. It's only going to cost five bars of Latin. It's not a big deal. It's going to make it you the irritates coolest. him. That's why he's always picking that middle nostril. That's right. Uh, I have deduced that the purpose of heading at warp six to the side of the water table disaster was so they could go warp eight back to show urgency. Oh, that's good. So it's, uh, the scriptwriters did a lot of work this week. Yeah, but the kind that is very visible. It's all they it's sh- all noticeable. They showed their work. Yeah. Um somebody worked out that twenty three hours at warp three is one tenth of one light year. But Uh-oh. we're putting out a coded level two query of all Federation outposts within the perimeter, and he could be at two systems. Yeah. Like he could have gone at most one tenth of one light year. Yeah, that could be fucking anywhere, man. That's right. Yeah. So they did half the work this week. Yeah. Well, anytime they get into anything about how fast something is or how far something is, it's going to be a real fuck up. Well, they should not have said this because my next note is if the Jovis only goes warp three uh-huh. and Beta Agni two is a day away at warp six. Right. How long ago did Fajo poison that water? Yes. Did his plan rely on it not being discovered for a long time? Because it would have been pretty suspicious if they found the Hytridium in the same star system. Yeah, because right. Kivas Fajro had only gotten. He was trying to hightail it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so weird. I, I have Hytridium. That's lucky. That's really lucky. What is the point of this uh, Verinti disruptor? It does not seem like an effective weapon. First of all, it took several seconds to kill her. Yep. And. 
although it was very painful, someone who was like full of adrenaline because they were fighting in a battle or someone who had taken drugs or whatever had plenty of time to fire back. Yeah, maybe someone who just knew what was coming. Right. Like, this is going to be the worst. Don't stop firing. We should keep fighting until the end. Also, it appears that you need two hands to fire it. It's <laughs> true. He uses two. So what's the point of having a small pistol grip weapon that you then got to put your thumb on the back to fire? Look, bro, they made a real piece of shit and they marketed all the bugs as features. And then they were like, oh, yeah, well, we're not allowed to sell it because it's so brutal. That's right. They went, Instead of like, oh, no, we made a real dog. They went, well, it's, it kills people real slow because it's we didn't make it very good. Yeah, yeah. we'll just say it's fucking yeah. vicious. It's the most vicious. Uh, we'll, tell the, we'll tell the board that it was banned because it's vicious um, it, and not uh, we didn't get any orders. It, um, it takes two hands to fire it. Yeah, well, that's cool. That's a cool way to fire it. You can look cool when you shoot people. Why does Data lie to Riker about firing the weapon? Yeah, yeah. don't worry. He's Why told- couldn't he just say, uh, yeah, I was trying to shoot Kivas Fajo. It was a pretty tense situation there. He's definitely told us before that he can't lie, too. So, you know. <laughs> and um, uh, Fajo tells him, you're here to taunt me. And he says, no, I, I have no feelings. <laughs> I'm merely an android. That's the exact words that you said. And I'm throwing them back in your face. No feelings at all coming out of here. You can tell. You can tell that this is just a pure... I'm an analytical robot machine. Uh, Best actor. Mm. There is a scene... This is a small touch for sure. Okay. He's trying to get Data to do something. I don't remember what. Yeah. Varia says, Hey, the Andorians are calling. They want to talk about that offer you put in on the spices or whatever. Now. They had four days! (laughs) And now... Okay, I'll deal with it. (laughs) And I... That scene was amazing. That's right. And when when it hit again, I was like, oh, I've missed this guy. Yeah. I have missed what was happening in this whole episode. By the way, something exactly I would shout at my computer in this room alone where I work. <laughs> that I would be busy with one thing and I've been waiting all day for something to come in. And now that I'm busy, the email comes in that I need. And I would go, he had all day to get back to me. And it gets back to me. Now. All right, I'll look at it. <laughs> I recognize uh, myself that- in Kivas Facho. <laughs> Worst actor, uh, Beverly definitely phoning in the cave scene. Yeah. Uh, before I turn it over to you, mm. I want to do the little background stuff here. Okay. Uh, ben points out in his quick hitters that Kivas Faja was Saul Rubinek. Yeah, I don't know. The, I didn't know the guy's name. And also that he's really great. So here is the deal with this. Uh, Saul Rubinek usually doesn't do TV spots. Oh, okay. He's a stage actor. He knew the director and he came in on a favor when the guy they cast and half shot the episode with as oh. Kivas Fajo tried to kill himself. Oh, no. <laughs> so he's they like, shot... He's like, he saw the outfit he was wearing. He put on his satin pirate outfit of the cosmos and he looked in the mirror one of the days and he went, this is me. This yeah, is my life. They shot two episodes, with uh, two two days with someone else as oh, Kivas Fajo. No. Apparently the guy was like real short too and it, like they were shooting it weird and it, there, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, then he tried to kill himself over the weekend and uh, they they had to bring someone in an emergency and luckily the director knew Saul Rubinek who came in and fucking Blew destroyed it, out of the park. it. Proved that he and was then, way too good to be on this show. Then a couple months later that other actor did kill himself. But uh, this almost could have been like a real shit of an ep. Like if the Kivas Fajo half of this episode oh, that, is bad yeah, that doesn't work. then you've got five good 
emotional scenes on Enterprise, plus that weird Geordi scene with the dream. <laughs> yep. Which now, in the context of an episode where half of it is trash, yeah. <laughs> is a uh, real Don't bummer. forget the bad cave scene, too. The bad cave scene, too. So this episode would have scored a lot fewer points, probably, if if the other actor had played Kivas Fajo, and assuming he didn't have the... He's not putting on the amazing performers that we're getting. Yeah, that's interesting. So uh, It almost was different. Later, I will look up that actor to see if I knew him from anything else. But apparently, he offed himself before Babylon 5, so the odds aren't great. Because everyone's always in Babylon 5. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, he would have made it to that if he if he'd lived. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Why doesn't Data tell this guy about lore? Maybe he wouldn't be so convinced of Data's value if he's like, no, there's more. I'm not the only android. Like, my my boss, I don't know, my dad, I don't know what to call him. He made a bunch of me. There's, like, a lot of me out there. You can find me on, like, any planet. Uh, like, I've met another one, and we assembled him, and he was just sentient. So, like, you could just I don't know, man. <laughs> go dig around in some desert, maybe take an ATV out there. That's there right. could be more of me. I think there's more. <laughs> And then also, why doesn't Data, in his acts of resistance, destroy everything in that room? <laughs> he really does not destroy anything. I mean, okay, maybe he doesn't want to kill the Corvin Gilgos. I know that's not what it is. But it, maybe he doesn't want to kill that hand puppet. Uh, he must just have a thing where he's like, man, I'm not going to mess up all this priceless this art. great art. I won't destroy it. But I would have... He could have broke the chair. For sure. The Kivas Fajo me, I would have been in there fucking smashing all that shit up. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you want me to wear the jumpsuit? Well, now you ain't got no Roger Maris card because I ate it. So, how about that? I didn't eat the gum, though. You can keep that. Um, oh, there's no gum in there. He just preserved the smell. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, that puppet, though. The hand puppet. Look, it's a hand puppet, and the HD really gives it away. I mean... That, it wasn't good before. I was going to say, that couldn't have been good even on a regular-ass fucking standard deaf TV. Uh, as I keep saying, he's dressed like a fancy space pirate. Um... When oh uh, well, he and Varia both have those uh, jodhpurs on that like flare out before the knees. Yes, and then, yeah. But he's got a weird hat too. Uh huh. Oh, a, his whole look is it's, is good. It's pretty good. When Wesley says the cards and chips should go to Riker, I just imagine Jordy going. He he can just replicate some if he needs them. <laughs> like, what good are these? What good are these poker chips? Like he, these plastic I, ass all, poker Wesley's chips. Wesley's never been invited to this game. It's true, but he, I guess he imagines that the next time they all meet up, Riker's going to be like, "Well, I thought out. we should play with Data's chips." It's only right we play with. That's these. not going to bum us all out at the poker game. These standard issue plastic chips we replicated. It's like it's not like they have some kind of value anyway. Um, I don't like seeing Worf at Ops. For one thing, he's way too bulky. Yeah, it's not a good look. The when they designed ops and the con, they designed them so you should really be leaning way back. Yeah, but then at some point they looked at it and said, oh, "That looks ridiculous." So everybody sits upright in these consoles that were not designed to sit upright. <laughs> yes, and, and so everyone's a little hunched over in those positions. But big bulky wharf is very hunched over. He's hella bulky. He's got like big hair and shit. It's just you can't see what's behind him. You look at Wesley right next to him. Wesley looks like a tiny little miniature person and you're like man i didn't think michael dorn was that bulky but next to will wheaton he looks like a giant but when they stick him right up in the front right right at the front part of the camera he sure blocks a lot more of the screen i didn't like it and i wish Riker got up and started asking him questions he couldn't answer because i didn't want him (laughs) what battle what sector (laughs) no you can't don't even try uh that one's coming up uh soon enough i mean it's fairly soon it'll come along and of course, you know, his name's Barash, as we know. 
<laughs> My name is Barash. I know. It's, I, I know Jean-Luc. I know it well. Um, Listen, buddy, I'm not learning your name. <laughs> you know, I said I was going to be your dad forever. That's that's not going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. Yeah, that's it for me. I think we talked about everything. All right. Well. One more. We uh, One more. Last week's winner was uh, Deep Space Nine. This week we watched Shakar. Cisco and O'Brien are playing darts when uh, the Bajoran government dials him up. Um, so he goes. Uh, Cisco goes to answer that call. Cut to Kira praying in her quarters, and Cisco walks in and tells her the the head of the Bajoran government, the first minister, he died, and um, the successor's gonna be Kai Win because uh, it's an election, but no one's running to oppose her or whatever. So you know Kai Win. We all remember her credits. Uh. Odo and Kira are doing a security briefing, but she can't focus because of this Kai Win shit. She thinks something needs to be done, but Odo doesn't have any help for her. Uh, Kai Win comes... No, Odo gives her some real hard truths that are very hard to watch in 2019. Some hard truths about democracy. And sometimes yep. the freedom to choose means you gotta people so people make, make a wrong, wrong choice. choice. And then you go, lock him up! Yeah, and then what's your recourse? You boom at the World Series? This is just not gonna matter. Maybe someone sneaks in a banner that says impeach Trump and it hangs there for a couple innings and they keep showing it on national TV. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Kai Wynn actually comes aboard and finds Kira. Uh, they spar a little bit, as always. And then Wynn asks for her help getting some uh, some soil reclamators back from her um, Kira's old boss during the resistance against Cardassian occupation. Uh, one Duncan Regeer, I believe is his Bajoran name. You may know him as Beverly's grandmother's horny ghost. The sex candle. He's the sex candle and he is our Zorro. Um, oh, by the way, infuriating to listen to this episode of The Greatest Generation because they never make that connection. Why? so angry the whole That's time. That's what I'm saying. These guys are hacks. They just, they just keep talking about how they think that they cast a guy who was too handsome for the role of Shakar I, and that they should have used the guy who was the colonel as Shakar instead. Okay, maybe. Or maybe even the guy with one arm you could mean, have been um, Shakar. It would have made more sense. His name was um, Lee Nollis. Yeah. That <laughs> it took me a while. Um. Yeah, he is too handsome. Hey, this greatest generation they never. They never talk about Sub Rosa. It makes me angry. Okay, great. They marketed their program correctly, and people know it's about Star Trek and choose to listen to it. Great, but they don't know about Star Trek, and they didn't watch the Family Channel, so they don't have the right to talk about this. Uh. Anyway, uh, her old boss. By the way, Katie gets so mad when I talk about Family that. Channel Zoro. That family channel's Why? What does she care? Well, it's just like an inscrutable reference to her. It's not inscrutable. And... Just go back and watch it. Okay. I mean, it's um, this is unbelievable to me. His name is Zorro. When daggers are pointed at innocent, innocent hearts and, and muskets stand ready to fire. fire. Yeah. When a... tyrants ride high and govern with fear and the forces, forces of evil conspire. conspire. Yeah, like an evil. Then from out oh. of the night, the hero will rise. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <the> <laughs> <laughs> they turn to. 
Yeah. A man man called Zoro? Yeah, a man called Zoro. Hell yeah. Zoro! <laughs> so good. Thank you for doing that. Um, I ended up turned all the way around facing the other <laughs> I'm sure it was very dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Uh, so her old boss, Shakar, I guess is his name. Not Jakar. Shakar. He took them. He took those reclamators. He won't give them back. Um, Kira goes to ask him, and he says nope. And um, she offers to help him negotiate with the Kai, so this doesn't become a bigger issue. And although he agrees, the Kai does not. Um, Kai Wynn says, oh yeah, sure, we'll talk about it. But then she just sends the police to arrest him and yeah. take the reclamators back by force. She also tells uh, Kira to get the hell off her planet. <laughs> yeah, she's like, well, thanks for nothing. Thanks for not well, helping child. That was something. Now go. <laughs> yep. And of course, Kira's there when the police come because now she's reconnected with her old buddies. And uh, so anyway, uh, the police are they're about to do their arrest. But then Jakar gives a real lame left hook that never would have hurt anybody. <laughs> and it's not uh, the Widowmaker. No. <laughs> turns out Duncan Regeer maybe not. Maybe shouldn't do his own stunts. Um, anyway, they fight their way out. And with the help of some of the old resistance buddies, they take those reclamators and they go up into the mountains. Um, they get chased for a while, but the police can't really keep up. Kai Wynn asks Cisco for Starfleet assistance, but he refuses because that's uh, that's what they call an internal matter. And also, he's he's busy playing. He's been doing darts lately. He's into darts now. I wish he just said to her, his I don't up. like you. <laughs> that would have been good. Uh, so the Bajorans continue the hunt themselves. Shakar's group decides they can't just keep running, and it's time to. Time to fight it out. So they lead their pursuers into a canyon. And then because they're wearing this rattan armor that just is super strong, but it burns really good. <laughs> but they, it's flammable. They burn 100,000 of them. And then they look into the heavens and they say, that I'm going to get, this one's going to come back. I'm gonna, this one's <laughs> going to come back to me. Because what I just watched was horrifying. Okay, that, none of that happened. That was all Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Yeah, instead, they recognize the leader of the guy who's following them. Yeah, these idiots are just walking around on the fucking ground, the bottom of this canyon, and they're like, hey, I know that guy, he's a different resistance leader from a different cell. I guess Kira's met him at, Kira met him at some conference. Fucking conference life, dude. Um. Anyway. She's been networking. They get cold feet. They they can't just fucking ice these dudes like they would some nasty old Cardies. So um, they go down to chat with the dude, and shit gets pretty tense. But instead of fighting it out, he actually brings Kira and Shakar straight to the Kai for some reason to announce that Shakar will be her opponent in the election for first minister next month or whatever, whenever it's supposed to be. Um, Kira comes back to DS9, and nobody says anything to her about, you know taking up arms against your government for well that was like a minute ago he'll don't worry he also tells kai win that the entire military backs shikar <laughs> they already know all that she has been networking the whole military which by the way have recently been depicted as a bunch of evil jerks yeah well all of those generals appear to be gone because this colonel seems pretty important now. <laughs> yeah you just walk into the fucking kai's office they lost the uniforms that had the corduroy shoulders so they <laughs> Got a break. I guess he's a colonel. Uh, anyway, no one says anything to Kira. She blows out her weird grieving lamp or whatever for uh, for Barile that she's been she's been weeping over. There's a B plot. O'Brien's playing darts. <laughs> sort of. He he plays darts and then he's right. He's in the zone. He's really good at darts right now. So Quark tries to turn it into a gambling <laughs> thing, but then O'Brien hurts his shoulder, and that 
So then the, he's gambling. His his great streak comes to an end. I mean, that's it. That's the whole thing. So <laughs> anyway, what was this uh, Bajoran-centric episode about? Uh, so it's difficult. So it depends on what you think Kai Wynn's motivation is here. Uh, so what I've written is when keeping power is more important than sound governance, revolution is inevitable. But it's possible that that this is about the separation of church and state because it's not clear whether what Kai Wynn says about this being a test from the prophets is real hmm. or just an excuse because she wants to keep keep power. Right. I read it as more political than religious. Yeah. I think her motivations are political. Uh Here's what I will say about that. Uh, maybe, and it doesn't feel great in 2019. Yeah. I gave it five points, though. Uh, we, I should say we didn't get anything from Ben on this one. I um, Did someone just die out there? Ah, it's just the normal almost <laughs> crashing because they went around that corner too quick. <laughs> Somehow it's always somebody's first time going around that corner <laughs> every day. Uh, freeway's right up the street. Um, I had also a five, uh, different take after living in rebellion for years, you're always looking for your next enemy. Yeah. There's definitely an undercurrent of that. Like these people are nominally farmers and it's been a few years now since the Cardassians moved on, but they have a cave all stockpiled with weapons and they talk about their mountain stronghold. And, and they like seem they... to be waiting for any excuse to go back to the rebellion. Right. They, they definitely go like, from this is zero about to a some... hundred on this, uh, repl- uh <laughs> yeah. soil reclamator issue real quick. <laughs> right. They're like, you said we could have it for a year. Rebellion. Uh, yeah, these old resistance fighters see any slight as the spread of tyranny, and they're ready to raise arms and fight an insurgency. I guess this would be useful advice for states trying to cozy up with former allies who now view them as the new tyrant, if we could think of anyone like that. <laughs> but for most of us in our daily lives, it's not incredibly useful information. Uh, it's just a five for me as well. This week didn't kill it on takes. Uh, yeah, no, that five is the... Uh... That's the high point for both of us yeah. on takes in a week where you issued two zeros. I didn't want to. I know. What can you do? And I still haven't gotten a drop together for no takes. Maybe after <laughs> TOS is done. Um, yeah, we'll have more time to fuck around and put drops in and stuff. Moving on to execution. It was nice to see that both sides of this Bajoran thing realize that they, they shouldn't just start killing each other every time they have a disagreement. That's like a small victory. Right, they talk, they, they pay lip service to the fact that the people following them also fought in the resistance in many cases. Yeah, they keep saying stuff and like, the, well, I don't know, some of those police were resistance fighters too, and stuff like that. And then that ends up being the resolution, but it does make the moment where they're like, we should stop and fight, and everyone's like, all right, yeah. we're gonna fight. And then they fucking, they weird. got them all lined up in their sights, and they're about to fucking fire and shit. And then he's like, oh, I can't do it. I guess I can't blow his brains out everywhere. Uh, Kira turns so quickly and goes so far in this little rebellion. It's kind of crazy. Like, I thought we've been learning about her adjusting to her new role on the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Wasn't that what that whole moon adventure was about with that old man? Uh, It was exactly what the moon adventure with the old man was about. And I feel like... You mentioned Lee Nollis earlier, and now you've talked about the pizza oven episode. (laughs) Yeah. 
It was an important so, pizza oven, metaphorically. You have basically covered both precedents for this episode. But this undoes a lot of that. Like, that never happened. She's just right back in full fucking insurgent mode. And there don't seem to be any consequences either, as I said. She just comes home, and they welcome her home. No one says anything, not even the Bajoran government, even though she just created a political crisis for this undisputed ruler of that world. Right. Kai Wynn uh, doesn't Ka- have anything to say? Kai Wynn's not going to be standing for the election, but she's not going to take a power move on the way out yeah. against Kira? It's uh, Also, uh, Kira should be setting herself up in some way. I think she's probably got a reputation now. She's like, she's been in, she's like, for one thing, she's part of what brought Kai Wynn to power. Yeah. And now she's uh, bringing the Shakar guy up. People should be in touch with her. She's kind of the kingmaker here on Bajor. Yeah. B-plot, as always, total waste of what little time they gave it. I think it in total was four minutes, and it was all a waste. I, honestly, after last week's Everybody Knows About Cassidy Yates B-plot, <laughs> God. I, I, did not, I didn't think that the B-plot this week would be worse. <laughs> but it was nothing. It is even less important. Honestly... I thought he was going to teach Quark some kind of lesson. I thought he nah. was going to fake an injury to ruin his gambling. No, but it turns out the injury it was, was real. real. And then he couldn't throw darts good. That's it. Uh, just a four for me. Uh, well, I didn't even give it four. Okay. This show raises the specter of Kai Wen as first minister and dismisses it in the same episode. Yeah. So... It's just too, it moves too fast. Not a slow burn like season, like the end of season one when they were doing the whole politics thing. But despite moving fast, even the A story is not very interesting. No. They didn't give anybody big speeches to carry, so they don't even really debate the issues. Yeah. This episode, uh, the only thing that keeps this from being uh, just an absolute turd in the punch bowl is that Kai Wynn is established and we know she's trash and also the actress does a real good job of playing her as a villain and still does uh, and again she's very villainous in this one it's very good um, but everything else like this episode feels like a throwaway like this is a filler episode yeah. despite the fact that it sh- it's big stakes and big things happen yeah it, it felt like filler but they're like ah oh, but this is just filler we better do something more and so right. they made an insurgency but yeah it's it's nothing yeah, like this is the this is the two week rebellion, right? Like yeah. this is a historical event on Bajor, but it somehow is just a filler app. And again, they don't give it any consequences, so even they are saying, "Yeah, it is nothing." Yeah. Um, world, and we're gonna move fast because we don't have notes from Ben. But world building. Uh, Bajoran first minister has a six year term. Mm-hmm. Uh again what is the federation in terms of economy kai win thinks that if they can start exporting some cash crops Uh it'll look good for their application for the federation yeah i have written down federation's gonna be like yeah look we'd like to have the bajorans as members but uh not if we're gonna lose money on this thing i have it written down here i used to ask every however many episodes every five or ten episodes what is going on with the economy now almost every episode in this project makes me go wait a minute yeah what's the economy uh, we have outpatient shoulder replacement. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gets his whole socket replaced. That's actually not that crazy. I think if you have a hip replacement, that's an outpatient procedure now, generally. Right. And again, some more resistance and Bajoran politics. Nothing huge. I gave it the standard three. 
Um, I think they said that first minister's name was Kalen Mofgren, but I wasn't really paying attention. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> matter. He's already dead. Yeah. Kai Wynn is named the head of the new government, which is obviously a religion and government mixing in a bad way kind of deal, but she's unopposed in this election until the end of the episode. Odo's security briefings cover all kinds of Starfleet stuff, so I guess he hasn't been completely pushed out by Eddington yet. Yeah. Most of the notes that he's giving in that briefing are Starfleet related. It seems like a lot of personnel shit. Yeah. Like, who's going to be on the Defiant and shit? Uh, Bacardi straight poisoned the farmland before they left. Yep. That's pretty shitty. Yeah, yeah, they suck. Um, yeah, commodities for export on, and commerce, Bajor, every episode now. Um, the Shikar resistance cell in Dakur province and their internal squabble over reclamators. I guess a lot of that old gang went back to farming, but... Which, weirdly, was apparently what Duncan Regeer wanted to do after this was over. He couldn't wait to be a farmer. But then he drops it all to become Rambo. Um, yeah. Tawali Pie. <laughs> yep. Uh, the Pollock 5 raid, which was the first off-world raid against the Cardassians by a Bajoran resistance. Not really enough detail for me to know what... How far did they uh, have to go? We know that Colonel What's-His-Name led it. and We, we, we know, know they only have sub-light sub we, fighters. We presume they went by solar sail. <laughs> That's right, because how else would they get there? Um, For me, it was worth four. There was enough stuff about Bajor, which is all I really ask. But, uh, yeah. How did you feel they did characterization-wise? Cisco plays darts sometimes, too. Yep. It's not the other guys only. He'll get in there. He also doesn't like Wynn and doesn't like doing work, <coughs> so no surprise he tells her to eat it when she asks for help. Uh, one of the review blogs I read pointed out that the this is the opposite of the poker game. The dartboard is out in public and everybody plays it. Oh, yeah. Even Lavelle Cisco, could play. Cisco plays with a regular, good old regular NCO O'Brien, right? It's So this is not... We know something's weird because Picard showed up at the poker game. Even Ben could play. Even Ben, the bartender, could play. I'm going to keep talking about Lavelle. I was going to say maybe his last name was Vereen, but that's nope. a person. Not up. That's, that's Jordy's dad. That's right. Um, Let's see. Kira has like a, a fucking ritual that she does for Barile. It's got, she's got a special lamp and everything. Um some background about her days in the resistance she turns on the government without a ton of prompting once the kai is in charge of everything goes she goes full insurgent uh but can't can't bring herself to brain another bajoran um win is still cashing in from that treaty with cardassia yep um she has a way of getting even her enemies to work on her behalf i think yes. she says it's because good is dumb i think it, so there's there is something that's interesting here too which is that it's not through friendliness she no. almost makes her assholeness work like she's gonna say you're gonna do it even though i'm a real piece of shit mm -hmm. because it's the right thing yes, to do she, and somehow that's a compelling argument she always right? convinces you to do it despite her right um she won't uh, brook any resistance to her rule, though. Um, 
Odo is rational about the freedom of choice, and that sometimes mean the wrong means the wrong choice is made. Uh, Quark is always looking for a promotional opportunity, and this darts thing is it this week. Not that it matters. I got the feeling O'Brien was happy to be good at something, anything, after yeah. a life of ordinary schlubbiness. Yeah. He was excited. Mm. Just a four he's, for me. He's played sports all his life. That's right. We know he plays racquetball and he kayaks. It's like, but he's never been in the zone. Right, but he's never been in the zone like this. Uh, you said it was a four? Just a four for me. Uh, I, la- I gave it even one less. So there's no... I got no sense from this that Kira cares or thinks about how this is all going to affect the Federation and Bajor's place in it. She does not think about very much at all in this episode. And the flip side of that is that it also seems like Cisco doesn't give a shit if she joins a weird insurgency on Bajor either. So maybe she just knew this would all blow over. Yeah. What's up with her blowing out that lamp? She's over him now. But is she over him because she's got a thing for Shakar? Um, because I thought they had no chemistry. That's the only thing I can think of that it could be. Because otherwise she doesn't Because really... if it's not that, what changed during her insurgency down there that makes her blow out her candle for Vedic Barat? That's what I'm saying. We don't get any other things that happen in this episode that are meaningful. So yeah. it must just be... Uh... Maybe she doesn't even realize it yet that that's why. But either yeah. way, she got back and she was like, eh, I guess I'm ready. Anyway, I'm real disinterested in another love interest for Kira so soon. Yeah, but then how are we going to make Odo suffer? <sighs> Odo has to suffer forever or whatever. I guess They so. got to keep that burning because everyone's really invested. So this is a three for me okay. in terms of characterization. Uh, again, nothing nothing happens in the B-plot. The B-plot is nothing. Agreed. Um. <laughs> You got some quick I, ones? I have some quick hitters. Not as definitely not a TNG level number. Well, of quick this hitters. was a pretty dull episode, just even for DS9. Uh Kira rattles off a bunch of Bajoran at the beginning. Nah. Is that a language that you can learn? Or for Bajoran, were they like, listen, let's not do a whole Klingon thing here. The Klingon let's thing just... blew up in a way that we were not super happy with. Yeah, it got kind of got out of hand, so let's just give her some things to say. Have her say Rome, guys. Have her Rome. What? Um, what's I, all that stuff? What's that stuff on Kai Wynn's desk? The blinky stuff. It looks like a, a busy board for Dexter Jetster. It's like, it was so aggravating how it kept lighting up. I hated it's like it. Two chrome orbs, and then, and then like a grill from an old car in the middle, and then a <laughs> bunch of blinking lights, and it's like, is it? This is the prime minister's desk. Yep, it was extremely annoying. Uh, there's no air cover. Yeah, there, in this insurgency, this is a purely a ground engagement. They don't have helicopters. Yeah, or just a bunch of dudes walking around with little scanners, fly, flying overhead, looking for them in these canyons. Yeah, they don't have such as uh, Air One or whatever. They ain't got no police choppers. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> It was weird, right? Well, they had some, but they let Shakar borrow them, and then he wouldn't give them back. Yeah, and then again, the significance of the prayer lamp. Yeah, they put it in there because they thought it'd be a good image, but I don't. It just doesn't. It did not land for me at all. Uh, it's also it's the same as Tuvox candle. I mean, isn't it basically? Yeah. Uh 
I gave best actor to Kira, I guess. And worst actor to Menacing Darts Vulcan. Oh, yeah. Yeah. At one point, O'Brien in this horrible B-plot is playing against a Vulcan who's a real jerk. He's just a piece of <laughs> He's shit. He's just always. Sure. The Vulcans are such jerks. O'Brien dislocates his shoulder and the guy's like, so I, I win. it's a forfeit then. I win Them's then. the rules. The human's I a didn't... coward and I win. I didn't write the rules. Humans always hurt themselves. The Vulcan's never been injured. This guy can't be like, look, none of this fucking matters. I'm a blue no, lieutenant. By the way, it turns out he bet on himself, too, so. Right? Fucking yeah. Vulcans. This asshole. I got some. Yeah, give it to me. Kira rings Shakar's doorbell, and then in under a second is peering through his windows. <laughs> like, yeah. give him a second to answer the door. It always takes me, like, two or three rings to get over to the buzzer over here. I would hate it if they were just like, come on, where are you? Look, I get it. That farm looked semi-abandoned. Yeah. <sighs> Just like, wait a fucking minute before you start being a peeping Tom. Uh, Duncan Regeer does some real Shatner shit in this one. Straight calls her when he meets her. Major Kira Nariz. A lot of E's, a lot of Z's. Also, I'm the only person who's ever made that vowel in your personal name and ah. That's right. Nariz. Kira. I hate Nana Visitor's fake laugh. We joined them like mid old war story. Oh yeah. And she's really yucking it up and I hated it a lot. Okay, so I've had this thought for a while. It's a theory I've been working on. Marjan will confirm that I've brought this up before. Duncan Regeer is like he's like better than Bruce Boxleitner. Mm. Like he's the same character type. He's got a cool voice, and he's handsome. He's more handsome than Bruce Boxleitner. That's Boxlighter. what I'm saying. He's pr- even prettier than Boxleitner, who, if you look at, like, young Boxleitner, he's, he's, he's pretty. pretty. He's a pretty man. He's a pretty man. But he's just not Boxleitner, despite the fact that if you just took all the parts, you'd go, he's better. He's better. He's less charismatic is what it ends up being, I think. One, I think it's because he's Canadian. Oh, yeah. So everything's a little bit Everything's kind of off. Kinda off. And then it's I, fucking the shoot. You know that when the shoot ends, he's going to be like, uh, so you guys have a Boston pizza around here? And we're going to have to go, what? <laughs> what do you, what the fuck is a Boston pizza? What does that mean? What does that mean? What do they got on it? Clams? What does it mean? You can get gravy on my fries? What? <laughs> no, I don't actually. And don't ask. Yeah. And then, okay, so you know how Sher- John Sheridan, he puts that gun in the guy's pocket and he takes his crowbar from him and he yeah. says, you got the gun? All I got is what I got. Go for it. I'll, I'll wait for you. When I saw Duncan Regeer throw that really bad punch, I went, <laughs> oh, yeah, he couldn't do that. <laughs> he couldn't be cool. He certainly can't do that one scene. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm not sure. It's an ever-changing ever relationship in my head between Regeer and Boxleitner. I, I wish they had worked together at some point. I verified that they never did. But uh, Regeer's too skinny to look tough. I think that's part of it. It could be, yeah. He's just a little bit too too slender of a man. Like at any point in the Adventures of Zoro or whatever that was called, where you're like, Zoro's really cool, huh? Or where you're like, he's such a dork, everyone makes fun of what a dork he is all the time. I mean, the 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 show is built on what a Donald loser Don sucks. Diego is. And no one would ever be afraid of him or have a sex feeling for him. They think it's funny that he owns a sword. Yeah, <laughs> look at this fucking loser. What is he, Canadian? So, let's see. That's the thing. That's I think 
He's just not cool like Boxliner, but he's the same character type. You bring him on because he's got a cool voice and he's handsome, but it's just not the same thing. Um, I also said the Kai's desk has so many blinking lights on it. It's super <laughs> distracting. Uh, are these Bajoran troops for real? Just walking along the bottom of this canyon with no thought to wipe what might be above them? And the guy's like, hmm, like, it looks like I made a mistake. And it's like, yeah, bro. It's particularly bad to learn that they're from the resistance. And then... <laughs> The writers put some shit in Duncan Regeer's mouth where he's like, I get it. You thought we were two hours ahead. You're trying to make <laughs> trying up to make time. time. I might have done it myself. I'm like, no, you wouldn't. This is like, hey, you shouldn't have. Did uh, did this guy not know this was a box canyon? Because you knew before you went into it. <laughs> like, this guy must be from that Lee Nollis crew. They accidentally found a Cardassian and punched him while he was naked. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like, right. He beat up, a, beat up a naked Cardassian. That is this, that's the kind of resistance this guy was running. Because he does not know what the fuck he's doing. Um, also, by the way, the character of Shakar really feels like they regretted that they got rid of Lee Nollis. Yep, they straight killed him. You're like, ah, fuck. You know, actually, we could have done something. I regret it. I wish they hadn't got rid of Lee Nollis. I loved having him around. He yeah. was kind of a putz. He yeah. did, but he was, like, willing to do whatever Cisco told him to do. Just because, like, I don't know. I don't have anything better to do. Yeah, sure. he didn't know how to handle his weird fame. Yeah, he, like, he hated man, it. I, I just want you guys to like me. Listen. I just want to be part of the gang. Like, I'll just do whatever to be part of this cool gang you got here on this space station. But, like, I don't want any photos, though. Like, don't take pictures of me when I'm eating. I always look stupid when I'm eating. Can you guys stop it? I loved that guy. And they had to kill him. He had to have his heroic sacrifice. Uh, this Lenaris Holum guy. Uh, that's that, uh-huh. the other resistance leader. He He's was... He played Rawls on The Wire. He's a okay. police chief guy on The Wire. That's it. Those are my quick ones. That's pretty good. Most of them were ranting about Box Lightner. <laughs> as, as is usual. Well, listen, they couldn't have they couldn't have gotten him for this one because oh, they man. were already biting B5. How cool, point. though, if he'd just shown up every once in a while as this uh, Bajoran. <sighs> Would have been great. Uh, so the, uh, the scores are in. All right. How'd we do? Did we get it's not an a? a great week? Oh. It's not a great week, frankly. Uh, fifth place with 21 points, which is not that bad. So it's, you know, yeah, not bad for a loser. Yeah. Is enterprise with Azadi prime. It didn't kill they it. Got, we both had it in last. They got no take. They didn't score anything higher than a four at any point. So, mm-hmm. uh, 20, just 21 points. Fourth place this week with 24 points. TOS, whom gods destroy. Also not a real winner. It wasn't, like, about anything. No. So. One point better than that in third place, Voyager the Gift. Yeah, you had that one significantly higher than I did. I don't know if that was a... a seven-point split, which is pretty rare. Yeah. I guess it was a take situation, and but you also had more on characterization. Yeah. Uh, and then coming in second place this week with 31 points, which is right at the average, Deep Space Nine with Shakar. Yeah, it was just, it was fine. So TNG notches its 25th win with the most toys. Only a 36, which is a full five points lower than the average winner. Yeah, uh, its strength appeared to be characterization, which isn't a surprise given everything we said about it. Um, didn't do a ton and, of world they building. they did okay on execution. Yes. Uh, so not 
again, not a standout. If there was a winner's bowl, that one wouldn't do that well. But yeah, better than better than two weeks ago week. when the winner got a thirty-five. That's right. But. So yeah, enough this week. And uh, with twenty-five wins, yeah, uh, TOS now would need to win nine of the last ten. <laughs> They're almost mathematically eliminated. <laughs> to uh to take first place so they've nearly they've nearly been eliminated from contention for first place plus there are three wins behind deep space nine now yeah yeah they don't seem likely to notch anymore frankly but i guess it's possible like they've just they've, is, they've scored most of those wins in season one it is possible they have <laughs> 10 wins left uh menage a troy is still coming up so <laughs> it's true there's always a but not next week though no next week uh we are watching Big week 70. Yeah. Let that be your last battlefield. He is black on the left. Not me, though. I'm different. Sarek? Oh, God. I do, I do love you. Oh, God. That's so good. Where is his logic, though? <laughs> oh, I can't wait to find out where he... I hope he finds it at the end. Uh, Dax episode called Facets. Not excited about that. Think she's got to get in touch with all of her old personalities? No, thanks. Our old host. Can Maybe I just say go back no? To that hot tub. I want to. I want to skip it though. Uh, Day of Honor. Yeah, it's Final Fantasy VIII. That's from. That's from after the lunar cry. They get stuck in space and they're almost out of oxygen. And there's a music video. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Thanks, Japan. <laughs> from disc four of Final <laughs> Fantasy VIII. And uh, then the second part of Azadi Prime. The Enterprise episode, Damage. I assume it's going to be about how the ship's really damaged, because that's what we could see. Yeah. yeah They're usually like pretty literal, so. That's what you should watch if you're playing along. Uh, next time we meet will be a mailbag episode. It's unclear whether that'll be next week. We got I'm travels. on vacation visiting you. Yeah. And then you're going somewhere else after that, so. Yeah, I'm, yeah you're on vacation visiting me, and I'm on vacation not returning the favor. <laughs> that's fine. I'm not going to follow you back. Though I do miss Hartley. Uh, but it will be a mailbag, so get him in. Yeah, that's uh, at BrotherDate on Twitter. Um, sometimes I think about just scrapping the whole thing and starting up a new Twitter. Well, what do you think we should call the show if we scrap this one? Uh, It'll be Running Man gonna, related. Are we going to keep doing Star Trek? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't really want to anymore. <laughs> do we have to? Uh, well, if we start a Running Man podcast, uh, it'll probably call be called "Isn't This Too Much?" Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Or um, uh, this is seriously making me crazy. <laughs> that's, even, that's even better. It's very long. At this is seriously making me crazy on Twitter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you can also send emails brothers of dot com. Um, you can. Is there a podcast called Daybok? Oh God, pro- there must be. That's such a common. Seems like there should be. That's such a common ex- exclamation. Anyway, Gio used to say that all the time. Um, Which he still thought things were awesome. There's a there's a, a Luna Luniverse Theory account that Daybok is a part of the name. It's a pun of some kind, I think. Anyway, uh, okay. Um, yeah, email us, please. Um, you can also go to the website. That's brotherdate.com. Uh, like I said, lewd images there. <laughs> you want to see girls in bikinis and less. That's where you go. Um, 
And that's uh, Stitcher and all that. Um, and so as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. So as you believe, so shall you do. And he's like, oh, hey, you come here. Come here often. Ah, stupid Harry. Come on. Oh, come on, Harry. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, what's happening? Please subscribe.